Hi, I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, here to let you know about a new and innovative theater major, the BA in Theater and Business Arts at the University of Providence. Get the education and experience you need as a theater artist and the business acumen to succeed in your career. Visit broadwaybullet.com and stay tuned to the end of the program for more info. Now, enjoy the show. Center, it sounds very huge and elevated, and that's what it feels like. Like once you're working there, because rent is about much more than just friendship, love, and musical theater. It was about something that shook musical theater. People are becoming more and more comfortable with, you know, issue of people being different. I mean, we do it all. I mean, you know, we don't we don't back away from anything. Welcome to Broadway Bullet, Volume 312, a very special episode. I'm your host, Michael Gilbo, and this episode is brought to you straight from the 2009 Tony nominee Meet the Press Conference. Now, we did this two years ago, and uh, it was very popular. Last year, uh, we were shut out of it at the last minute, but we are back, and we have basically got 22 amazing interviews with people. Now, this isn't the regular episode. This isn't all the nice, clean audio where people come into my recording studio and we do a deep, in-depth interview. Uh, this is short interviews with a bunch of different people. You can hear some background noise. There's lots and lots and lots of people at this place. Uh, but I think everything turned out pretty clear. Also, uh, this is a, our, our table for the radio. is kind of like a table thing. There were four people there, and we all kind of had to share interviews. Um, two of the people were overall pretty quiet. Brad Balfour from the Huffington Post. Uh, you'll hear a lot in here. And... Um, and so basically what I do is I'm presenting the interviews more or less unedited from what happened when they sat down at the table. So a couple notes. A um, couple times I was a little – it's very frantic. And a couple times I was slowed the punch and turned around and noticed they had already started interviewing somebody. So I didn't get a chance to introduce them. I will insert that at this point. Uh, sometimes the goodbyes weren't always clean. I also want to say that uh, just in order to say we're not doing any favoritism, I'm pretty much just putting these interviews up in the order that we did them, which is the order – that the press agents brought them over and uh, did that. Also, uh, as far as the length of the interviews, uh, most of this is not due to any favoritism. We didn't interview somebody for seven minutes and somebody for two because we liked them better. We pretty much interviewed everybody for as long as they could until their personal press person was uh, getting impatient and saying, we got to whisk them off to somewhere else. Um, just a little kind of primer for those of you um, who've never done this sort of thing, which probably I imagine is most of you. Uh, it's a really interesting thing. There's about, oh, 50, 60 different press outlets uh, there all at different tables all around, some doing video, some press, uh, some radio kind of things. And uh, all the nominees go wandering around. And I, I kind of like to equate it to, I don't know, kind of like a junior high dance where you don't know if you want to commit. You want to be interviewed by that person. But uh, if you you go in, but they're busy, so maybe you can get an interview in here quick with this other person, but uh, if you do that, then are you going to miss the person you really want? And a lot of the reporters, quite frankly, are doing the same thing. They have people they want to interview really important on their agenda, so they get titchy and all fidgety when they have to interview somebody they don't want. Um, it was a little bit that way the first time I went two years ago. This time I knew what it was all about, and I was pretty much just sit back and Enjoy whoever came over, and I, I had a much better time uh, with no agenda. Saw a lot of great people I knew, a lot of people I've interviewed before that recognized me and said hi. That was a lot of fun. So with all those explanations out of the way, we get ready to launch this. 
Also, like this is a subscription only. And for those of you who listen on MP3 with all you know, 22 interviews here, I do want to reemphasize that if you do have an iPod or you listen through iTunes at all, we really encourage you to subscribe to the AAC enhanced version uh, through the iTunes store. We have chapters and pictures for every interview. So it makes it real easy to go back and forth and re-listen to a favorite interview or you know, skip something or go back and move all around. And all of our episodes are that way. So uh, this might be a good time for you to check out that and get the AASA interview. At the same time, I'm going to make one more plea here. Please review us in iTunes. Uh, reviews have a lot to do with how our rankings are stacked. Um, I expect we're going to be getting a lot of new subscribers because of this episode, and that combined with a lot of new five-star reviews can really help boost us and let other people find us. So please go onto iTunes if you have an iTunes Store account and give us a five-star review. It takes like 30 seconds to a minute, and it's a real big help, especially if a bunch of you do it all at at once. Um, and we're going to have a lot of great interviews coming up as we continue with uh, a regular episode next week. But here we launch into the first of uh, 22 amazing interviews. I'm here talking to Oscar Eustace, who is the producer, one of the producers for Hair, the revival on Broadway. Just got eight Tony nominations? That's correct. Eight Tony nominations. We're delighted. So after 41 years, I think Hair still is probably the most current and contemporary rock musical to hit Broadway. Does that have anything to do with why you brought it back? Absolutely. Isn't it sort of amazing the way it's landing in the moment? And what I love about it is that we get a kind of double vision watching the show. On the one hand, you're seeing something that actually feels true to the 60s and that reminds those of us who were there of exactly what it was like. And yet, on the other hand, it's something that feels totally of the moment. And we can look back on the 60s and feel all of the complexity of feelings that we had about it. It's really, it's a tremendously rich experience. Now, it's always, you know, a challenge to raise up the money for, you know, a musical in today's environment. Were there any interesting stumbling blocks along the way or, or real doubters as you were going about starting to get this revived? Well, sure, Michael. We closed Hair in the Park on September 14th. And on September 15th, Lehman Brothers went under. So my theory is that actually closing Hair is what destroyed the American economy. And now that we've reopened it, we're on the rebound. Um, Joking aside, it meant that we were in the environment of September, October, November of 2008 trying to raise money for a risky venture in any field was not easy, and it certainly wasn't easy on this one. But I'm glad to say that we brought together a great team, and it worked. On a more fun note, as I saw the show last night, it actually seemed to me that there were very few wigs on stage. Is that correct? Very few wigs on stage. Fortunately, most of these performers have been with the show now for almost two years. We started working on it in the summer of 2007 when we cast a concert version of the park. So for two years, they've been aiming for Broadway, and they've had that time to grow their hair out. <laughs> uh, and I was curious. I know that Will Swenson um, also did a brief stint on uh, Rock of Ages before it hit Broadway, on Off-Broadway. Was there ever any doubt of him coming back to the Broadway production? or If Will ever had any doubt of coming to Harry, it was all alone late at night in his room, and he never shared it with us. It was pretty clear that uh, he was deeply committed to the show and that we were deeply committed to him right from the beginning. Casting Berger is one of the hardest things to do in Hair because that is such a demanding role. And I think Will is probably the best Berger that's ever existed. So we feel very lucky that we've wrapped our little tentacles around him and have no desire to ever let him go. (laughs) All right. Any closing remarks you'd like to make? 
just that I'm thrilled that we've got a musical hair that a generation of young people is seeing and they're responding to the optimism and the desire to change the world that, you know, sort of erupted in the 1960s. And I like to think that it's a harbinger of a new era of optimism and social activism to come. All right, Oscar Eustace, I guess one last final question. Has your hair always been this long, or has this also been growing out since uh, the production started? My hair is actually shorter than it has been for most of my life, but, you know, it's it, you just, unfortunately, that nobody on radio will be able to understand this, but looking at me, you know why I like the musical hair. <laughs> All right, thank you so much, and best of luck come Tony Awards. And what about you? Your hair is pretty long, too. Yeah, I'm like a sheepdog. I, I cut it like once a year. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, Michael. I got John Clancy, who did orchestrations for Shrek here at the Tony nomination. How you doing? Good, man. How you doing? <laughs> so, is there anything special you have to do when you orchestrate for a play that you know is targeted to kids as well as uh, adults? Um, I mean, the, the you know because it's really for everybody, and this, the world of Shrek is so vast that the musical styles were all over the place. So you really just have to stay true to the characters and the musical styles, you know, and then the rest will follow. I think, you know. As, as far as gearing it towards the audience, you know. Do you have any references to, like, rock and roll references and things that you like to bring in that makes it uh, special to you? Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of R&B in the show, and we had a big horn section. It's a 23-piece orchestra, so we were able to, uh, wherever the music was taking us, we were able to go, which is kind of rare. Most of the orchestras are smaller nowadays, and so we really got to, uh, you know, there's rock and roll moments, there's R&B moments, there's classical moments, there's a lot of world music moments. We brought in some cool percussion, Celtic stuff, and, you know. How much are you envisioning stuff in your head when you're orchestrating, and how much do you work with a select group, you know, of, of people or, or MIDI instruments to achieve what you're going for? Well, at first, you're, uh, you're really totally envisioning it in your head and it's you know we did pencil to paper on this thing and uh we hand wrote the whole show and um and not until you're in rehearsals are you actually seeing it start to come alive and then you're obviously uh you know adjusting it and, and sort of massaging it constantly until it's the way it needs to be but at first it's all in your head and you're pulling your hair out and turning into a crazy person basically <laughs> janine desori who did the music is known for being very perfectionist and very intricate. How closely did you have to work with her to get the right thing to match what both of you were looking for? Um, very close. I mean, at first, you know, she lets you go and do your thing, and it, you know, and which is really cool. She gave us a lot of space for us to uh, to to have our artistic freedom. And then once we're in uh, rehearsals, you know, she's right there with us, and you know, she doesn't stop till she's happy, and I don't want to stop till she's happy, and that's just how it is. And then thank God for that because she's, you know, she's a great musician on her own right, absolutely, and uh, she can write in so many styles really, really well and authentically, and that's. That's, that's rare, you know. Where were you when you heard that you were nominated? <laughs> I was in bed. <laughs> and she called me, Janine, and left me a message. And then the text messages started coming in, you know. So I'm being honest. <laughs> now, now you look like you were more of a rock and roll guy. I mean, yeah. how, did you, how, do you, how did you find yourself ending up on Broadway? Well, you know, Broadway shows are, a lot of them are bringing in rock music and pop music and all different kinds of things, and I, I was brought in because, actually, Janine saw me play, and I played drums on Carolina Change years ago, and, you know, I, I, you know, they basically, uh, you know, 
just from playing. And uh, you'll, you'll find a lot of incredible musicians coming into Broadway nowadays from all different angles that are, are really heavy-hitting dudes, really. It must have been hard to be pulling out your hair, though, when you said that. <laughs> Actually, it kind of falls out on its own sometimes. But <laughs> uh, One other question, then. In terms of uh, getting this nomination, I mean... Did you plots? I mean, did you? I mean, here you are. You come from rock and roll. You come from, and then you're in a, getting nominated for a Broadway show. That yeah. must have been a bit of a shocker. <laughs> it is. Well, you know, you're growing up, going, man, maybe I'll have a Grammy someday. <laughs> but you know what? This is totally cool. You know, like it's just the way things happen. You never end up in your life where you think, you know, where you were thinking you were going to be. So, I'm, I'm thrilled. You know. Any projects in the works? Um. Well, I do a lot of touring and stuff like that and playing, and uh, the next time I appear on Broadway will be I'm playing drums in Spider-Man next year, which oh. is really cool. And uh, I've been working with the U2 guys a little bit, Bono and Edge, uh, in the workshops and stuff, and that's cool for me. <laughs> yeah, that's where, you that's know, that's really shocker. where I come from, you know, but, uh, but you know, orchestrating is, uh, is a whole other thing. And, and this was like really, really a special, special opportunity that doesn't happen ever, basically. So very cool. All right. Well, best of luck come Tony time. Yeah, I do. Got Chris Sieber here Hi. at the table. Hello. With Shrek, Tony nominated. Oh my God, I have the same phone. <laughs> yes. How cool is that? That's nifty. I so, like it. I'll take it. So first question is, where were you when you found out about the nomination? I was in my car driving into the city. Uh, we were, DreamWorks and uh, Shrek the Musical, we were, we were doing a, a touring, um, I guess, uh, pr production for the, the, the road company people, I guess. And uh, I w it was uh, about 8.40 in the morning. I was in my car, torrential rain, biblical rain, rush hour traffic, and uh, my, my agent Richard called me and uh, said congratulations, and I had to pull over because I didn't want the, uh, the headline to read, Christopher Sieber, Tony nominee, tragically dies in fiery car crash. So I'm here now, so everything's okay, but uh, I had to pull over, and that was, it was, I, so I, I found out in the rain, even though it was raining and miserable, it was a beautiful day yesterday. Now you're certainly very experienced with musical theater, among many things, uh, spam a lot, but I'm, I didn't have a chance to do my research. Is this your first nomination? This is my second. I got nominated for Spamalot, which was a thrill too, yeah. So this is my second time around, so it's very cool. It's still cool. It's neat. And I got this nifty pin. Look at that. Yeah? That's nice. So how much how much makeup are you in for the show? I'm not too bad, actually. Brian, <laughs> Brian is in, in more makeup than I am. You, you got you got the, the easy, the pretty roll. I just have the I just have the, the evil eyebrows that I have to do and the, the over over overly overly crazy blush. Um uh, yeah, I, Brian and Brian Darcy James, who plays Shrek, and I won't uh, will never complain to each other because I'm on my knees the entire performance, and he is in prosthetic makeup, and it takes an hour and a half to get into it. And on a two show day, he has to stay in it, so we don't complain to each other. <laughs> so you got anything lined up just in the works or staying with Shrek for? I'm sticking around with this baby for a while, and then I'm going to uh, yeah, and then I'm going to take a I think a long break. <laughs> <laughs> I guess n nobody's body was meant to be doing what I'm doing right now, so so I'm going to take a little break after I think after I'm done. Is there a particular moment in the show where where you feel like you're having the most fun? On pretty much throughout, actually, it's it's um it's a pretty cool part where you can go as far as you want, um, and that's because it, it's it, the, the way it's written is is that you, the further you go and the bigger you are, it's it's still it. You can't. There's no end to it, so you can continually go further and further and push, push this part. And it's ridiculous. And the, it's it's so 
it's so hilarious. It's, there's no, there's nothing to stop you. It's great. It's fantastic. So I have a blast, and I can I can change things around whenever I want to. Uh, they're giving me freedom to to change things around, which is fantastic. Awesome. And and a bit unheard of in Broadway. Yeah, truly. Yeah, it's, especially for a kind of a corporate show. Right. So yeah. Yeah. It's a free. It's so the the show is just very free. I'm mean, very free to do what I want. So it's. It's fun. Within reason, of course, you know. I'm not doing my one-man show up there. All right. Well, Christopher Sieber, thank you so much for talking with Broadway Bullet and uh, everybody here at the table. All right. Thanks, guys. And uh, best of luck come Tony time. Take care, guys. I got Karen Olivo here at the table, just Tony nominated. How are you doing? I'm uh, I'm holding together. (laughs) Yeah, I talked to you last year just about this time. Yeah, totally. Yeah, we did the Lynn Heights uh, Heights thing. So how has Anita been for you? I just saw the show two days ago. Uh, Anita is wonderful. (laughs) She's doing fine. She's at the palace eight shows a week. Um, Yeah, this is, it's pretty great. I'm having a good time. So you're you're a bit different than Rita Moreno. Just I think just naturally. <laughs> yeah, you know Arthur was really uh, specific about wanting to recreate a really well-known character, and um, he wanted it to be truthful, and and so he sort of gave me carte blanche. He was like, you know, say it however you want to say it, you know, interpret it however you want to interpret it, and we'll see if it works. So I feel pretty lucky. So. How 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 much have you studied dance? Your dance chops really... I, I mean, it was a bit there in In the Heights, but I really noticed your dancing in this show. Wait, no, they put me in boot camp for this for this show because, I, I you know, I'm not a trained dancer. So, uh, you know, I was a mover before, and uh, they just put me through boot camp. I was like two hours before everybody else showed up to rehearsal. I was in Pilates and I was in ballet trying to basically play catch-up, you know, because all these other kids, some of them have come from ballet companies, and they've been dancing since they were, like, you know, out of the womb. Uh, so they just put me in through, like, you know, a nice a nice uh, six-week boot camp and uh, just so I could look like uniform with everyone else. Now, you're one of the characters that has, does a lot of the translation, so to speak. How much of a challenge do you find to, as an actress to work? Do you work harder to try to make sure that the people who don't understand Spanish are, are grasping what's going on? Well, you know, at first I did, and then I realized, uh, with Josefina's help, uh, that it's more about how you say it and not necessarily what you're saying. So once I, I got all the Spanish lyrics down and I got the accent right, uh, she kept, she, you know, I watched the way that she does it, and it's just about emoting. So if, if I'm honest in the moment and I'm just trying to, I know what the words are and you don't, if I just try to, to be honest about what I'm saying, you'll understand what I'm going through. Hopefully. Did you? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure it helps. It this translates is like... so well. It really does. <laughs> and it also helps, I think, it's all killer, no filler. I think everybody knows every song in the show. Right, right, right. You know, when you're doing a show that has such a historical legacy and... You know, and, and, and carries a certain weight. Does it affect you in any way, or are you able to throw that out of your head? Initially, it was, it was you know, the elephant in the room. And now it's not. Because Arthur made it, he made it not an issue. It's a non-issue. Because we're not trying to do anything that's been done before. So I felt the pressure sort of alleviated really early on. Which is, thank God, because it could have been, it could have kept me up at night. Was it a trip working with Arthur? I mean, knowing you have somebody there that's the legacy? Yeah. 
Arthur's so generous, and he's he was so helpful and so great about you know making sure that we we said the lines in a way that made sense to us. So there were times he'd change things, and you know I, I would never expect someone to change West Side Story, but he'd be like, ah, say it how you want to say it. And I thought, oh, this is great. <laughs> like we're really sort of doing something from scratch here. So yeah, he's pretty amazing. Well, Karen Oliva, um, I thank you so much. Or did you? Yeah. I think. Uh, I was just, have you seen In the Heights since you've left it? I have. I have. Do you have any feelings of nostalgia or? I just feel an immense sense of pride. You know, I just saw the documentary, a pre-screening of the documentary that's going to be on uh, PBS Great Performances. I think on the 27th of May, and uh, and I had forgotten that I was Vanessa and that I helped create something that's pretty pretty astounding. Uh, and, you know, now I just think of it as, you know, my friends, and we made something really gorgeous, and it lives on forever, and I'm just lucky to be a part of it. So where were you when you heard you were nominated? I was in my bed. <laughs> my husband and I decided, instead of, like, sitting up and trying to, like, you know, sweat through the entire morning, we would just stay asleep. So I didn't get up until about 10.30. You are stronger than I would ever be. <laughs> no, I think that that was the weak thing. I think strong would have been, like, you know, sitting there sweating through it. I just couldn't handle it, so I just went to sleep. Well, thank you, Karen. Best of luck, come Tonys. We've got Howard Panter here, the producer of Guys and Dolls. How are you doing? Very well, very well. In good form. So, what was what was the reason for the time being right to bring Guys and Dolls back? Well, it's always right for Guys and Dolls because it always lifts an audience. I have productions of it in Sydney and I've had productions of it in the UK and it just always delivers to an audience. It, it, it has that enduring quality of a great classic that actually makes people feel better when they're in the theatre. So now's a perfect time. When you do a revival, do you ever feel a trepidation over the, its history or do you... How, how do you approach it? Do you, do you ever feel the pressure to be faithful to what other renditions or do you feel the uh, excitement about seeing if you can reinterpret it? I think one has to re- reimagine each time, but at the same time, with something like Guys and Dolls, you've got such wonderful uh, underlying material, the book and the lyrics and, and the music, I think, uh, by common consent, the hamlet of musicals, and I, I think that that, that that gives you a wonderful base. You've just got two wonderful love stories, and you've got a great narrative, great characters, great humour, and, of course, you try and play to those truths as, as, as best you can. But, I, you know, I don't think you go in with some new conceit about we're going to set this in 2,000 years hence or something. I mean, you, you basically try and tell the story as truthfully as you can with the actors that you've got. Well, you did some really unusual things with the multimedia. So yes. that's, that's been sort of gotten mixed reception. Yes. But- Maybe that's their failing, not yours. <laughs> well, I, I, I think we certainly wanted to make it feel relevant to today's audience. We wanted to make it use the use the design tools that we have, uh, take the take design and vision as far as we could to excite, particularly a younger audience who perhaps aren't as familiar with guys and dolls as someone of my generation is, for instance. And I think that what we're finding in our audience research is indeed it's working. They're liking the visual world, and indeed Robert, has, as you know, is nominated for a Tony for his design. So, I mean, I think that it, 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 it is paying dividends. People are enjoying it and, and talking about it and coming back. And I think, candidly, you know, we're moving away from some of the less good reviews and some of the other reviews are perhaps being proven to be perhaps a bit more what the people are thinking. Well, and it doesn't hurt to get a nomination for Best Revival. Exactly. It all, it's all good stuff. No, I, I think it's great. And uh, I, I, it, it really is a musical that the people like. 
and it always will be, whether we're doing it or somebody else is doing it. I mean, we're very fortunate to be working on such great material, and that's that's really that's the core of, of the mission, if you like, that you're, you're working with this fabulous stuff. Well, I'm glad to get to, to have gotten to see it live because you know I missed the other one. So did you? What did you think of it? I enjoyed it. I did a big interview with Craig that uh, right. ran in the that's, Huffington Post. Of course Post, it did. I really loved it. it. You know, I love him too. No, he's fabulous. He's one of the funniest men around as well. I mean, he's really fun. as a human being. I mean, oh, yeah, he's yeah. just really witty and great and sexy and all those wonderful things. So, no, he's, he's great. And it's doing very well. People love it. So uh, we shall see how it progresses, but we're hey, happy. I'm always happy when you defy the critics. Ah, no, <laughs> ne- ne- never defy. But we're, we, listen, as you say, we've got some good and some not good. I mean, that's the, that's the truth. But at the same time, people are coming and people are enjoying it. We're doing it for the people. We're doing it for the audiences. Where were you when you heard about the nomination? Where was I when I heard about the nomination? I was in my office. I was in my office and it came up on the on the uh, on the screen. So well, that was great. That's very exciting. Thank you very much. Let me get a picture. Thank you. Hi, we got Jeffrey Rush here from Exit the King. How you doing, Jeffrey? Oh, well, I'm good. Hello. Hi. Where am I sitting from? Optimum. Congratulations, sir. Thank you. Now, not only are you nominated for Best Actor for Exit the King, but you were heavily involved in the translation, correct? Uh, that's right. With the with the director, uh, we have direct. We've worked together since 1980 on about I don't know 15 or so different projects. Um, some of which we decided we wanted to translate from Russian or French or whatever because these were plays that really excited us, uh, and the existing translations seem to have been reflected through an English culture of maybe 50 years ago, and they just seemed out of date. Uh, I have a smattering of Russian, but we, in, in the case of this play, the government inspector, um, we get, we get a Russian speaker to give us a very literal translation and to work with us in terms of the nuances of the language, and then try and find the best tone of English. And that's been the case with the UNESCO. So, for you, what is the biggest difference between live and your film work? <laughs> Uh, it's the time of day that you act. <laughs> you know, w- when you're in the theatre rhythm, you build your whole uh, shape of the day around the fact that you're on at 8 o'clock in the evening or on a matinee. Uh, and with film, you've got to be ready to be terribly interesting in front of a camera at 7 a.m. So, and, you and, and when you're doing theatre, the last last thing you can ever think of is acting at 7 o'clock in the morning you think, <laughs> unless you've got, stayed up very late <laughs> you know. How is working with Susan Strandon as, as a It's fantastic because um, she gave me my Oscar and we had a very particular encounter in that moment because I got up from my seat and you know in a de- and very numb state of mind followed my mental footprints I thought just walk to the person holding the award phase one turn and try and talk and she looked me in the eyes and said just take your time and it was really generous she kind of put a balm on me you know what I mean 
Uh, and she does that as a person. I noticed in rehearsals, because we have this extraordinary scene at the end of the play that's about 20 minutes long, where she guides the king to his death. And it's like an expansion of that Oscar moment. Rather than guiding me towards an award, she's guiding me towards the end of my life. But she does that with that wonderful, um, deep generosity of spirit. I know you like to play things that you don't like to play it safe with a lot of things you choose. How does this fit into the larger spectrum of the things you've picked? What was it that intrigued you? Um, when I read the play, I was just so surprised at the ingredients, you know. It starts with a parade of the characters. It seems to be like a mock Shakespearean play. It's very poetic. Um, I love the fact that the stage directions kept saying the king falls over, two lines later the king gets up, two lines later the king falls over, and I thought, that's going to be fun to do. <laughs> you know, and then the fact that he had a monologue with the sun and tries to bribe the sun to kill off everyone in the world as a little payment on the side, just so he can live forever. And I thought, wow, this play is... Dig digging into some pretty big ideas in a very humorous way. And then the scene at the end really, really blew me away. When I read that, I thought, if it's not a great play, it's certainly going to be a great piece of theatre, you know, because the language in it is so uh, stimulating. So where were you when you heard you were nominated? And what did you think of that? Uh, in bed. Oh, no, I, I woke up. I wanted to watch it because, I'd, you know, I'd had such an enjoyable time... Uh, rehearsing the play here and you know we were at the 42nd Street Studios which was fantastic because I'd get in the elevator it was nine stories three three studios per floor normally in Australia in the non-profit scene we'd be in a church hall somewhere you know what I mean and uh, I'd get in the elevator in the morning and they'd, and they'd be chorus guys from Rock of Ages and older actors from Shakespeare for a new audience and we were on the Ionesco Schiller floor, the Mary Stewart women were next door. So all of that was terribly exciting. And then we opened the play to very nice critical acclaim and audiences that embraced it and stood up at the end and I thought this is, I hope Ionesco is smiling somewhere. Uh, and I wanted, I wanted to see the whole, uh, you know, I watched the Tonys on cable in Australia and I always sensed this really strong community. It radiates through the performance, on the, through the ceremony. Uh, so I wanted to watch what happened with, with what our odds might have been, who was up, who was that down, you know. Uh, that was exciting. Have you had a chance to see any of the plays that are also in your, in your category? Yeah, yeah, I saw the opening night of God of Carnage, because uh -huh. uh, I actually studied at the same drama school, theatre school, as Yasmina Reza, uh -huh. back in the mid-70s. <laughs> We're older people. <laughs> any, any plans to do the next Pirates of the Caribbean movie? Uh, they, don't, they don't tell me anything, you know. <laughs> you find out so much now on blogs. People know a lot more than either my agent or I do. <laughs> After this, do you have a movie in mind? Uh, there are projects uh, being looked at. Yeah. Top secret. Top secret. Well, you know, you can't talk about them because until you've signed on the dotted line, you, you know. You like living here in New York? I do. Nice change? It's been fantastic. I mean, I've come to this city maybe, I don't know, 15 times over the last 10 years. 
and it's always been on a press junket for four days. And I cram in a lot of theatre and stuff like that, but generally you're talking about yourself, which gets debilitating. Do you have a favourite restaurant yet? Um, no, a lot of... Uh, I go... I eat out a lot. That's, yeah, that's what seems to be the best New York experience. What are, what are you wearing? What am I wearing? Oh, this is some old Armani piece. <laughs> um, in the spirit of the play, if you had a, an hour left to live right now, what do you think you'd go do in New York? Wow. <laughs> I'd go and watch myself in Exit the King, and that would be a, re a really strange existential trip. Well, best of luck come Tony's. Thank you, Jeffrey Rush. Got Janine Tesori and David Lindsay Abair, the team behind Shrek on Broadway. How are the two of you doing? Today, great. Yeah. <laughs> Today is fantastic. Today is a good day. Yesterday before 8.30 was a little rough, yes. but it's been great since. A lot of the critics were staying ahead, and they weren't really expecting a nomination for Shrek. Who said that? Ooh. Who? The odds makers were, you know, they, they didn't have you guys down. So when did Shrek become the underdog? Yesterday at 8.30, <laughs> Right I guess. now, that you just said it. Come on. Uh, I don't know who those people know. are. A bunch of idiots. <gasps> what? They said we were going to get a nomination. I can I say know. bad things about them. You're certainly welcome to. I'm not one of the people. But, no, I was reading a lot. It was, it was one of the nice big surprises, I'm sure, especially for you guys. What what was the team, What was it like writing for DreamWorks? Is it different from some of the... You both come from some other shows and personal projects. Carolina Change, Janine and, and David Lindsay Bear, uh, Rabbit Hole, and a, a lot of things. How different was it working with the DreamWorks experience? Um, well, what was different was there was source material that people had very strong ideas about. Not just the producers, but everybody in the entire world. Um, but actually, DreamWorks was incredibly collaborative and... I mean, they said from the very beginning that they had no interest in putting the movie on stage, that they really hired theater people because they wanted to be its own animal. And, um, and that's what we tried to do, you know, try to be true to the spirit and tone of William Steig's book and also the movie, but also make it a piece of theater. You know, there are 19 brand new songs that are not in the movie, and there are lots of scenes and lines that aren't in the movie, and um, it's ours. It's ours now. So what did you use as influences? What would you, you know, in terms of the... the uh, the audio and the sound, the music and everything. What, what? Um, well, maybe you can talk about the music. Well, the, you know, the, the thing that, that um, you have to remember about animation, I did six movies before we did. I did Shrek. Animation is put together with, if you look at the final credits, the credit roll, the crawl, a lot of people. It's a tremendous amount of collaboration. And when you go out to the DreamWorks, uh, the, the way that they put it together, they roundtable everything. It's a huge, a lot of committee. Um, it's just a bigger committee. So by the time that we, their process is similar to the musical process. They also, for Shrek, they had a drop needle score, a brilliant, beautiful score with a lot of different sources. Uh, you know, all the way, all the way from what Smash Mouth covered to the beautiful pieces that they, you know, 90-piece orchestra is common in LA. So we knew that we had a lot of leeway with how we were going to do the fairy tale creatures and the idea of where Shrek came from, the swamp and his whole that that from the earth feel. And that's just a lot, that, that's a sandbox that's a lot of fun to play in because it's a lot of different styles, which I'd love to do. So how do you two work together? We torture each other. We torture each other. No. Oh, yeah. No, we do not. Yeah, we No. Uh, <laughs> Sounds like a routine for the movie. We are going to have our own show called Things, Things That, that are, are Important. Things That Are Important, yes. 
Uh, the way it works is we will talk for hours and days sometimes about a scene or a song and figure out where the dramatic event is and where the song of it is. And then whoever has the strongest impulse starts. Sometimes yeah. it's lyrics, sometimes it's music. It depends on what it is. I mean, that's the fun part. A lot of coffee, a lot of discussion about what the scene is about, the structure is. If we did this here, if we did this here, I would change everything. That's, that's, what I, that's what I love about it. Otherwise, you're alone in the room. You know, with uh, 12 tones and a lot of doubts, and it's much more fun to do something like that together. You can bounce off each other. Yeah, it's good to collaborate, isn't it? Oh. We love it. Yeah. David, you're primarily known as a playwright. Yes. Is this your first book for a musical? This is not my first book for a musical. This is my first time I've written lyrics for a musical. Uh, my, I wrote the book for High Fidelity. And that was actually a much underrated show. I enjoyed High Fidelity greatly. It's a great Thanks. choice to work with. I love the book, too. I mean, oh, the book thank book. you. And the movie. It's a very different process. I, I, I loved working on that show, but uh, I was just a book writer, so I would write up to a song, or I would write a scene that then got pillaged and turned into a song, and thought, oh, they're doing all the fun stuff. The so problem. this time I get to dramatize the event pillage of the scene, <laughs> pillage my own stuff. Pillager. It's much more fun. <laughs> much more fun. I love it. Now, as the, as the show is coming together... Do you inter how your interactions are ongoing? I would assume you're always there and you're changing. I mean, how much changing did happen? How did it evolve? Well, that's the fun part. I think in terms of when you, uh, you know, your audience is the final scene partner, and until they come in, you don't know what the hell you have. And so that first night in Seattle, you find out, and uh, as as an audience behaves, it, it generally is is true coming from the regions into New York. So we learned a lot then. And then during the day, you change and watch it at night. I, we generally have a kind of two or three preview rule, so you let something settle because you don't know what the variables are. Let it settle and then watch it and then change it and change it. And so that's a new, a new show is different for actors. It's, it's helpful when you have people who can really think and memorize really quickly and get intentions in. You know. It's also, musicals are so mysterious, way more mysterious than a straight play. Well, because it's abstract and concrete. That's, you know, you put something in a different key, you put it in a different character, you change the orchestration, you put it with kazoo instead of this. And, it, and you don't know how it works often. I There's don't know an alchemy. You put something in front of an audience and for some reason it, it works there, but it didn't work there. Or you add this one little bit of lyric or this one little bit of something and everything changes. And... There is a bit of like going to the optometrist. Is this better or is that better? Is this that better or is that better? This one or this one? What's the biggest change that you could think of that that that's actually altered during the, the course of the play? Is there anything that you could think of? It took us a long time to get the Shrek Fiona duet. Yes, that, that was took the a last long, long time. Song, that right. was probably one of the last songs. Because you know that we what? Wrote. Because it, it, it was a substitute for the montage in the movie, and that is that montage is really lovely and hilarious. You know, and he blows up the thing and sends that balloon out. And, and but time is compressed, oh, and it's all done through visuals, love. which of course we can't do on stage. Right. But they fall in love in like 90 seconds in the movie. Well, the beauty of a musical is you can time compress as well. That's our the music is the same idea of what a montage does in, in that film. And so you take three minutes, and you know Tony and Maria fall in love really quickly. They see each other, they sing, and it's done. But that's the first act. We had to do that all in the second act, and then put them apart, and then get them back together, because our love interest was introduced late into the first act and we have a two act structure so there was a lot of stuff to figure out but that duet is it's, it was a really nice moment for the show so where were you guys when you heard that you were nominated uh, I was I had just dropped my son off at school 
and I rushed home and turned on New York One and watched with my wife. New York One. Well, I think the, the next show is the two of you together. That's oh, what yeah, I think, things that are important. I, 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 I'm going to give you my card. You're going to keep me close. You mean helping people? Yeah. Oh, you didn't smile. You know what I've been told? I actually like, like you. Like, the winning smile. I don't, sorry. <laughs> this keeps, oh, I hit my area. David Lindsay of Bear and Janine Tatori, thanks so much for talking to Broadway Bullet and best of luck come Tony's. My pleasure. It was such a pleasure to meet you. Thank you for your comment about high fidelity because I agree with Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you very much. Broadway Bullet, we got David Lindsay of Bear here. How you doing? Wait, that does. <laughs> Brian Darcy James. It's it's the three names in Shrek. I, I just saw David leaving, so I, I feel like after after that warm up act, I, I have nothing to do but I just have to hang host people with three names. That's it. Yeah. That way, you know. Ren Tin Tin, uh, Sirhan, Sirhan. That's actually four. Well, He's in a category by himself. I don't know why I'm bringing up uh, uh, potential uh, Are you murderers. Are actually funny? Am I actually funny? Are you actually funny? Are you naturally funny? Naturally funny. Uh, or do you need outfits and costumes? And <laughs> that's, I, that's, I don't know if I'm naturally funny. <laughs> I would like to think that I am, but I, I, I'm, my wife would probably disagree with that statement. Um, I love people who are funny. I love people who make people laugh. I think it's, it's, a, it's a quality that I envy. And um, uh, it certainly helps when you have, like, big, big fart sounds that, that are at your disposal and uh, big green prosthetic noses on your face. That helps. That helps, yeah. yeah. This role is a bit different than some of your past roles. How surprised were you? How hard were you aiming for this, or did they approach you for this? I wasn't aiming at all. In fact, it was not on my radar. And, and, radar. and when, when I got the call that I was going to be asked to audition for it, I didn't. I didn't understand what part. I, I they said Shrek, and I said what part? I said yeah, Shrek. But but, but what part in Shrek? No, no, no. The the ogre. <laughs> so I, I really did not believe that uh, that they had their uh, their research correct. Uh, so uh, um, it, to answer your question, I was not. I, I remember thinking, oh, that's going to be a fantastic idea for a musical, and just thinking, oh, I'd love to go see that someday. So were you prepared for the intensive makeup that? It resulted in. I, I know I can I can honestly say that I wasn't. I mean, I, I I had an inkling of what was coming based on what people were describing. But uh, and in fact, at the time when I started, they didn't really know exactly what where they were going to go with it. So uh, no, it's 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 an hour and a half of, of of sitting in a chair and just being very patient, and which I've come to to take as my own little uh, you know Zen warm up. But it's uh, it's really unlike anything I've ever done. In fact, you got to leave pretty shortly to get into costume and spend the entire day in green. Yeah, well, and, uh, thankfully we only have one show today. Uh, we have a, an unusual schedule in that we only have one show on Wednesday. But Saturdays and Sundays we have four shows in a row. So I'm, I'm basically um, in the big green head for about, about 48 hours. So how familiar were you with animation? Did you watch, had you seen the oh, other yeah. tracks? I'm a big fan of animation and uh, particularly of, the, of this film uh, series. So, no, I was very familiar with it. And... Uh, um, you know, one of the things that I think is great about our show is that we've been able to capture the spirit and, and the, uh, the ability for this story to kind of appeal uh, different bandwidths of humor for not only kids but for adults, which makes makes it so inviting for, for families to come to. Um, so that, that to me is a, is a great kind of feather in our cap, kind of keeping that spirit alive of, of taking the, the fairy tale and kind of twisting a little bit. Just when you think you know it's going to come, you kind of send it up, uh, which, is, which is a lot of fun to do. 
So how much longer are you planning on playing the Big Green Ogre? I'll be there till November, uh, and then and then we'll see what happens after that. Do you have any future plans? Uh, Shrek the Musical. <laughs> Being an actor, do you think of yourself as a big kid in some ways? Oh, absolutely. I mean, especially like something like this. It's it's great because you do get to kind of uh, um, exercise the you know the eight year old boy that lives inside me. You know, I get to sing and, and dance and fart. You know, and it's you know it's there's nothing better to do that in public. I mean, I, I mean you did wear a green tie. It somehow seems appropriate. Is this green? Well, it's it's more aqua. It's teal. It's teal. teal. You know, it could be. Right? You know, I just thought it seemed like well, well that's a kind of a subtle. <laughs> I could I could have been bolder. I suppose I could have gone like forest green. Yeah. Or swamp green. Now where were you when you got heard about the nomination? I was watching uh, the television on uh, on uh, on my couch eating a bowl of oatmeal. Did you almost choke? I'm only teasing. <laughs> I didn't, thankfully. Okay, good. Yeah, we, or you wouldn't be here. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It would be a very, very now, sad interview. Let me get a wonderful picture of you, if I sure. may. Oh, that is one. And we're getting that tie. Brian Darcy James, thanks so much, and best of luck come the Tonys. Pleasure talking to you all. Broadway Bullet here with Stephen Daldry. You know, it's funny to see you go from something like The Reader, which is a fairly, ser- you know, quite a serious, deep emotional, to going to something that's a, an exuberant musical. Um, how do you, you know, the head changes must be, uh, I know we've talked about it from the movie side, how is it in, you know, to go from the movie ma- mind to the theater mind or vice versa? It's just, it seems such a different experience and a different way to think, but you've got the film and I the... Think the uh, The subject of the reader and the subject of Billy aren't dissimilar. Uh, they're both about grief in one sort or another, the grief of a community in Billy's case uh, that's uh, aware of its own impending collapse and, uh, and the idea that the boy is going to leave and the boy's own grief of his dead mother and then his own both excitement and grief of leaving his community... And then in the in the reader, the grief of a boy who falls in love with somebody and then discovers a terrible secret, and then can't in fact leave that love and is, in, if you like, in grief for the rest of his life. I don't, in a sense, I don't think they're that dissimilar. Um, but in terms of going from one to another, no, I think I've always. I mean, I was brought up in the theatre. Theatre is my natural habitat. Um, right. So uh, I, I think it's a great privilege to be able to go from one to another. What do you find the biggest challenges flipping back and forth? Well, they're both of they're, <laughs> well, they're both very different. Um, and uh, you have to get in the mindset of one versus the other. Does it take you a while to flip mentally? No, I think the biggest. And by being honest about it, I think the biggest single difference is in the theatre. If you say, "I don't know," I don't know, I just don't know. It's perceived to be something a strong statement. In the movies, if you say, "I don't know," you just look a little bit like an idiot. <laughs> Uh, but that would be the single biggest difference. And movies inevitably are a little bit more like a relay race. In other words, the people you start with aren't necessarily the people you finish with, and that is very different in the theatre. The people you start with are indeed the people that you finish with. So it's a much more collegiate, familial environment in the theatre, and the movies tend to be a little bit more of a long, lonely, long-distance runner sort of action. And working with Elton, how was that, uh, you know? Elton, Elton's fantastic. I mean, You've he's, known him a long time, I've I would known imagine. him a long time, and... He, He's been a fantastic friend to me personally, but also a fantastic support to the show, as well as being a brilliant collaborator. So, um, no, he's been a real brick. Thank you very much, Stephen Daldry. One more picture. I got to talk to you. <laughs>
Oh, Hayden Gwynn from Billy Elliot. Billy Elliot, exactly. Yeah, we're trying to get the uh, I was so the first thing I knew, having wanted, having thought, okay, let's let's do the the American thing, and listeners, the nominations come out, and you know, and I was also interested in lots of the other categories, the plays, and you know, I've got British friends who are in other stuff. Uh, so I, I missed it. So the first thing I knew was that we'd got 50 nominations. And uh, was I one of them? I was like, <laughs> so I was like, well, a that's amazing. I didn't even know there were enough categories for that to happen. And b that probably means that might mean that I've had. A, so I sort of heard it in an incremental way. But I don't think you know you get. You, I don't think you get. Well, I certainly didn't feel blasé about. The, us getting or even getting a personal nomination it's still you know it's still a very big deal it's a very big deal so you've been with, you've been with this role for a while you you did this yeah, in London I've had a break I haven't been doing it this whole time so I did yes I did it in London for 15 months and left in 2006 and then had a had a break but yes I do feel I know her extremely well very well but one of the advantages of doing this show is that um, I've worked with 11 leading men now so although I've been doing it for a while I've had a lot of um, I've had a lot of variety within that for you especially the show really changes up night to night doesn't it well, it does, because most of my stuff is, it's quite a str strange track. I hardly interact with the adult company at all. I have a couple of bits with, you know, Dad, a scene with Dad, and but otherwise I'm, I'm mostly with my ballet girls and mostly with the Billies. So, so if the leading man is changing, then that's a whole different show for me. All right, well, thank you, Hayden Gwynn. Congratulations. Thank you. Thanks so much. We've got Constantine Maroulis, who's Tony Nami for Rock of Ages. How you doing? Very well, thank you. How you guys doing? Look at this beautiful like set. You guys, do you guys do acapella? Uh, only in a group. I met you last week on my friends at Alice. Oh, that's right. Yeah, good to see you again. I actually called your nomination before they announced Rock of Ages was going to Broadway. So congratulations. No, uh, the, the the show or me? You. I called you before they announced Rock of Ages for Broadway. So. Oh well, thank you so much. That's wonderful. Listen, it's a great role. Great role. And and uh, I grew up with this kind of music, you know, and I've been wailing it since I'm 10 years old. So I think my voice just sort of grew into it, and uh, it's the perfect sort of marriage, you know. I get to play this sweet and vulnerable character, but I get to also kind of be a rock star as, as well. Do you think American Idol prepared you at all for oh, this Absolutely, role? absolutely. I grew up in, as an actor in the theater, studied Boston Conservatory, all that stuff long before Idol, but the... Performance quality level and and the the stakes of a you know live thirty five million dollar or thirty five million person audience and and the regimen of it you know the weekly sort of like schedule and the press and all that sure it, it's probably the ultimate conservatory that you can go through or you, boot camp this is actually your third major show since Idol in theater correct yeah um, yeah well actually my second on Broadway but Jacques Brel off Broadway was a big show. Um, and uh, I did Rent before Idol, and you know, I've been working in the, in the theater a little while. But yeah, yeah, Isn't lots of fun. Weird, weird thing, though. Sorry. Didn't you always okay. think of yourself as a rock band kind of guy? I mean, a rock and roller. You didn't, I mean, or, or did you always hope to cross sort these Sort of like bands? one of these weird chameleons. Like, I love, I would love to play, you know, arenas. 
with my own material and, you know, cover some of the greatest songs. And, you know, I love doing um, a little cabaret show or Jacques Brel off-Broadway with 90 people in the audience or... I just like to work, you know. I'm a blue-collar Greek kid, grew up in Jersey, you know. I I just like having a job, so whatever you need me to do. Of all the bands, well. of all the bands that are in this show, which of the bands were you really a hard Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi. Yeah. You know the Bon Jovi movie? There's a movie? Yeah. It's at the Tribeca tour, Film Festival. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've seen it. It's <laughs> awesome. Have you met Bon Jovi? I met him briefly once, but I'm actually friends with David Bryan, who's uh, the keyboard player in the okay. band. He's like the original member of the band with, with John Bon Jovi. Um, but and I've met Richie Sambora, but um, I didn't know about the movie. I, we've been a little busy, but you know. But I'll see it. I'm sure. You you have a lot of high notes to hit throughout the show. Do you have to keep a vocal regimen to stay in shape for eight performances a week? I used to not have to. I used to just be able to wake up in the morning and wail. Um, I'm getting older, you know, I have to take care of myself. I can't be spending my nights at, uh, you know, 10 June rocking out anymore. I can't do any of that, and I don't really want it. I can't outgrow all that stuff. Um, but, you know, I have a process, sort of starts when I wake up. I don't talk to anyone in the morning as, as much as I can, you know, for a few hours. Let the voice sort of naturally open up, you know, get some fluids in, get a workout. I don't know, probably. But, you know, unless there's, like, something really important like, you know, press or a business meeting or something family-related, um, I try to do that, especially on two show days. Um, I come home after the show, I turn on the Yanks, and I just shut it down. Do you ever watch Idol when you come home? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I still do a lot of work with them and contributing, like Fox News Channel, things like that. So I watch, but I'm also a big fan. So. Who do you think's going to win? Oh, I think it's definitely going to be Adam. I mean, I think that's the safe bet. Um, you know, he's he's incredible. I mean, what a voice this guy has. He's got a great presence and a lot of performing experience. I think that helps. But you're a great example that you don't have to win in order to really carry on with your career. Well, I've been working and trying to keep a nice slow burn and hope to continue. And there's a few cool projects coming up. And What are those? Well, I can't really talk about a lot of them. We're very focused on Rock of Ages right now and the five nominations and great director and, you know, our great creative team. It's It's been a lot of fun. So uh, a movie, the movie now. Who's yeah, I was going to say, a movie deal's been inked. Have you heard about your involvement possibly with that yet? Oh, well, you know, Chris, our writer, he's incredible. He's a good friend and he's super talented and whatever he needs. He's also directing the film for New Line Cinema. So I'm sure, you know, if he needs me to be a part of it, he'll let me know. So what about staying in touch with your Greek roots? You know, Neil Vardalos has a new film out. Uh... Yeah, I heard about that. I, Rita Wilson came to the show the other night. I'm, I'm a huge part of the Greek community uh, as far as my involvement and my, my support uh, for the Archdiocese, Leadership 100, you know, the National Hellenic Society, um, the, um, the Hellenic Times Scholarship Fund. I, I have my own scholarship, the Constantine Maroulis Scholarship for Performing Arts. I'm giving it to... Uh, a young man this year um, from Columbia uh, University, super talented, and uh, really happy for him. And you know, lots of work in the in the theater community as well. And you know, the Greeks have been very supportive of me. And um, you know, I just um, very proud Greek American. Where were you when you heard the nomination? At home, I fell asleep with the TV on, <laughs> uh, watching Sports Center, and then I kind of woke up like 8:30 ish. Oh, oh I, I forgot that it was on television. So I got online and they, you know, people were talking about how it's on CBS. Turned it on literally in time for them to announce my name. Thank you, Constantine. Thanks, bud. Thank you so much. We've got Greg Reed Jabara here. 
Got the Tony nomination for supporting actor in Billy Elliot. How you doing? Good. Uh, great. Glad to be awake. Well, not really. Glad to be conscious. Not up this early in the morning on a wet two show day, but I'm happy to be here. Is this your first Tony nom? I think it is. Yes, ever. In 25 years of being a New York actor, yeah. How does that feel? It's uh, it's amazing. Uh, it's um, uh, it, it's different than what you think it's going to be. Like it, that, it's supposed to be this sort of like you know suddenly you become a superhero kind of feeling. But I think because the sh- the show that I'm in is so amazing and gratifying, and there's been such recognition for the show, it's just sort of like a logical progression. That's sort of like the icing on the cake. Not that I expected a Tony nomination, but this whole ride has been so amazing that it's like, oh, yeah, I guess this makes sense, you know. And and me personally, I haven't changed. I don't know that it even has necessarily hit me yet. Do you feel like a bully competing with a, a 10, 11-year-old from your cast? No, I know I'm dead in the water. <laughs> I, I, you've seen the show. I, 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 I don't stand a chance against David Bologna. The kid breaks your heart in, are, are in you five like minutes. Crying to him ever that you know, you know, maybe you know, you know. Can yeah, I, yeah, I'm the old guy, man. I'll never get another chance, you right? Sure you thank me, <laughs> yeah, at least. You know what? I, I, I he was the, that was the best surprise of yesterday morning. Uh, I, 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 I cried. I honestly, there are these photos of him and his mom uh, standing on the steps in Times Square to watch that, the SpectraVision feed that never came through. And there was a fan who was secretly taking pictures of them from above the steps. And there's these shots of before and after when the, when the father called on the cell phone to let them know that he had won. And it's, it just makes me cry. The kids, you, the kids deserving. I, I, I he's a, and he's an even more amazing human being off stage than he is on stage. And everybody in our show admits that we need to take a class with that guy about you know start him on stage. He's he's amazing for us. So um, it, it must be a strange challenge to uh, have all these kids in the show and you, uh, you you're, you're you're performing with them. What is it? How is different is it than working with you know adult actors? Or are they all kids? Yeah, yeah, actually, the children are more grown up than the adults are uh, on stage. Yeah, they, they, they kind of set the bar, really. Um, I think we're much more well-behaved backstage because of the boys and the girls. You know, the, the expletives are allowed in dialect on stage, but if we're swearing backstage, those girls give it to us. We, we actually, yeah, we can't. I mean, you know. Are you a potty mouth backstage? I, I like scatological humor, so I've had to pull back, I must admit. Is that how you got the, the black eye? Uh, well, have you seen the show? Yes. So you know when Dad drags Billy out of the ballet class? One night, the girls just went improv, and they decided to retaliate against Dad. So chairs were flying on stage, and... No, I'm joking. Uh, actually, this was... This, this was on the way to the, uh, the Dramatist Certificate Ceremony uh, Friday morning. You know, out under the awning, diving into the Lincoln Town Car to not get wet, and I just hooked my eye right on the corner of the hinge side of the door, and there were like several cast and, and crew outside having a cigarette, right? And I turn around going, it didn't really hurt, but it was nice. It was like biting into a, a piece of celery. It crunched, and that disturbed me. But I went, oh, that was smart. And I looked around, the look on their faces was like, like they were watching a bad horror movie. And so I knew that it wasn't just rain I was feeling on my face. So I, I, I had blood all over my hands and face, but it didn't get on my clothes. I took a little uh, Arnica, which is homeopathy for inflammation, and put some ice on my eye, and 15 minutes later, I was in the car and at the award ceremony. So I, I'm just grateful that it wasn't like an inch further, because the impact was actually right here. I mean, I could have really hurt myself. And, and the, the worst part is, I can no longer make fun of my wife. 
you know, who's six feet tall and always says, oh, I'm always bumping into stuff and I'm always critical of her going, if you just paid attention, if you just walk, just open your eyes where you're going. I can't say that anymore. Now, I'm a bigger boob. So are you getting recognized more nowadays for the new Olive Garden commercial or for Billy Elliot? <laughs> All right, here's, here's, here's some irony. The eye thing, I, I now I'm in a Pearl Vision Center commercial, and I'm thinking maybe <laughs> it's time I get glasses. Uh, the, the, still, the, 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 the dads that stop me on the street to, that have to say how much the show has affected them is still the most amazing thing to me. And the most gratifying, that this show has the impact on, on, on fathers, you know, because normally husbands go kicking and screaming to the theater, and, and they actually leave the show, uh, I think, motivated and moved, you know, to be, to be better parents. That's what the show does for me. It's like, my kids, my, my two sons have so benefited from me being in this show, because I've had to go, you know what? I gotta, I gotta love you more, and and you know, I, I gotta be the best parent I can be. It's like not that I wasn't ever doing that in the first place, but it, it, it has affected me in the way, in my parenting, and that's a beautiful thing. So I know if it's happening to me, it's got to inspire other parents to you know cherish their children. Well, I wish you the best of luck, come Tonys. I believe this nomination is well deserved Thanks. in your long career. Thanks very much. I I'm I'm thrilled. I I'm I'm ready to retire. And if you lose to the kid, you know. It's not any any fault of your own. Well, thank you. I don't know that he'll make it to the award ceremony. It's quite possible. Too late for him? He might get, you know. <laughs> I am Lebanese. There's a big Lebanese mafia in New York City. We've got Mark Kudish here. Is it Kudish? Kudish. Kudish. How are you doing? I'm good, man. How are you doing? All right. Uh, so... I had a chance to see 9 to 5 uh, about last week. It seemed like you weren't having any fun at all. None whatsoever. Why did I decide to do it? Come on, let's ask the important question. What's it like hanging out with Dolly Parton? I love Dolly, man. We were just over there taking pictures. She's so cool. It's, it's, it, you know, it's been a really interesting journey with the show because, you know, you meet Dolly Parton and you go, oh, my God, that's Dolly Parton. Okay? And she's an icon. And and then, you know, you do some of the readings, and Dolly's listening, and you're like, it's really a pleasure to do your music. Do, 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 do. I love you. I think you're great. I love your voice, all that stuff. And you're like, wow, that's really cool. Dolly Parton likes my voice. And then you get into it, and then you're just calling her Dolly, and then you're working with her. And then you're in there literally going, can we talk about the lyrics for a second? Or can we talk about this? Can we talk about that? And then you're having real conversation, and you're really collaborating with another artist. And the fact that she went there with us, the fact that she... I mean, look, this is the first time she's ever done this. This is a woman with an illustrious career. Why she chose to, hey, I think I'll try something new now, which I think is a very brave thing for someone like her to do. I mean, she's a walking brand name, okay? And she has been so brilliant at learning this process and being a collaborator because she's, you know, she's the master of the three-minute song and she's a great storyteller but she's used to writing for herself and I think that she had the most fun writing for the character of Hart because it's the male mentality unlike what she's used to doing. So I think that was a big challenge and also great fun. And, you know, I had another song in the second act in L.A. that got replaced by the song we have now here in New York. And that was probably the last thing to come to full completion. Even after we opened, she was like, Mark, I have a couple suggestions. What do you think about that? Because she wasn't done. And I really appreciated that. 
when you think about a show like this that you know comes from something that's sort of sort of set in stone in one way, and she feels she's not done with it. She would not rest until she felt like she was done, and she felt like she's like we're not doing you know we're we're, we're not you're doing your job we're not doing ours we need to finish doing ours you know and I kept saying to her no we're all doing the job together I've got to get to it too. And um, I remember when she gave me this little change and I was like, ooh, I like that. She's like, okay, now we're done. Now we're done. Well, I, it's very nice you talk a lot about Dolly, but you're very distinguished yourself and a very hardworking actor in many, many shows. Uh, Listen, I am really proud of what I've done throughout my career. Not just one job, not just one show. It's a career, do you know? And I think that, you know, you hire me because you want my brain. You want my heart. You want all of it. And I'm going to give you all of it. And it's going to come out blunt sometimes. And that can be a pain to work with sometimes. But I believe in the collaboration of what we do. It's alchemy. It's not just chemistry. There's got to be magic. There's got to be the happy accident. You know, there's... It's human. So... But I feel incredibly fortunate that through my career I've gotten, you know, I've worked with Sondheim, I've worked with Dolly Parton, I've worked with Comden and Green on their last show on Broadway. You know, and for me, history is, is hugely important to me. You've originated so many roles. Yeah. Do you have a strategy for finding those and, and, and getting in on board? Cause... No, no, I don't have a strategy. I just look for things that interest me. And at this point in my career, the good news is, is that people are curious to see what I'm going to do with something. So my good fortune has been that people don't mind that I'm a pain in the ass. No, no, but I'm I'm being serious because I'm a pain in the ass. I'm not going to lie about that. And I think that's why I'm right for this character in a lot of ways. But I think it's because there's a bluntness and, well, but there's a bluntness to my honesty in real life. And I try to bring that to the stage as well. And I do not like to apologize for playing something honestly. And sometimes that's going to piss someone off. Okay, it's going to piss someone off. You can't make everybody happy. It's such a great role because it's such an iconic film, so it must uh, give you a chance to really say something. It does, because we're in the same place we were back then. That, that, that sense of elitism, that sense of entitlement without earning, that sense of innocence and ignorance... You know, uh, that still exists so strongly today. You watch the show and you go, oh, that reminds me of now. Because it is now. Okay, it's not maybe the male-female thing, but it's the little guy boys club thing absolutely 100%. And that's why I like doing this. All right, well, thanks for spending some time with us. And best of luck come Tony's, Mark Kadish. You got it. And I turned around to the interview with Tom Sadowski, nominated for Best Actor in a play from Reasons to be Pretty had already started. Uh, here's where I picked it up from. It was, uh, you know, it's 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 a rough journey. You know, um, uh, a rough journey. I have to say some pretty awful stuff to 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 a person that I love, and um, and that's not uh, that's not particularly easy. You know what I mean? Uh, um, but uh, as far as just like you know, getting past the, the sheer physical and mental and emotional exhaustion of it all. Uh, I had to think about what the play was. Yeah. Neil LeBute. Yeah. What an interesting guy to work with. Absolutely. Given his movies and all. This is supposed to be like the, the softer Neil LeBute. This is the softer, gentler <laughs> Neil LeBute. Which, yeah. is, uh, Which is saying something, isn't it? So tell me about the challenge of working with Neil. I mean, you know, he's such a well-known writer. He's such an, you know 
controversial figure. That must have been fun, and it must have been... Oh, it's fantastic. And the thing with it is that Neil's a teddy bear. You know, the, the Neil that everybody thinks that they know based on his writing is not the Neil that, is, that actually exists. Um, Neil Butte is an uh, incredibly generous um, a collaborator uh, and, and, and just a genuinely decent, good man. And um, it's been, it was a joy working with him. What do you two talk about? Neil and I? Yeah. Work. You know, we haven't really had much of an opportunity to talk no about a whole philosophical conversation. Oh, I know. You know, we talk about we talk about life and, and how it all plays out. And you know, certainly when we were in the process of doing this show, you know, you know, we talked a lot about growing up and, and how hard it was for each of us in various different ways to grow up and find a way to do that. So. Given that his stuff can be somewhat polarizing, were you surprised that it's reached that it's moved up the the, the channel? And of course, you've got you know, you know, everybody else saying, "Oh, there's this name, that name, and there you are." Yeah, here we right are. In there, you know, know. Here we are. We're the, you know, we're the little show that could, and we're the little show that is, you know. And uh, and you know, look, Neil in the past has been a polarizing figure, but I think it's largely because Neil has, has been misunderstood throughout his entire career. I mean, people think that Neil Abut is a misogynist that he holds up these these kind of misogynistic characters as a celebration, but I think that actually Neil is taking a mirror and holding it up to these guys and saying, no, actually, look, you know, this is something that needs to be changed. Like the men actually do behave like this, that it, that it is actually acceptable for men to behave like this in this world. Um, um, and it's is 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 what you know is the issue, and it's it's what he's trying. He's not celebrating it. He's saying these are the people I grew up around and I hated. Can we please do something about this? And finally, in this show, he has one of his you know Labutian archetypal you know male misogynist pig guys just get the absolute like, crap kicked out of him, and that's that, and I get to deliver that beating, which is nice. Yeah. Okay, so so. Um, you know, it, it, like you say, he's really a lot nicer character than you think, and also his plays sort of turn on a turn on a turn. Did you, did you get it the first time you read it, or did it? Oh, did absolutely. It well, this is you know, Neil Neil really went out of his comfort zone on this one, and there was no you know surprise shocker ending on this thing. I mean, you know, this is a, this is an honest story. It's a love story, and it's a story about growing up, and um, and it's told uh, you know through Neil's very unique voice. But um, you know, there's no gotcha kind of ending at the end of this thing. I mean, it's it's a very human story, and. Uh, um, I'm proud to be a part of it. Well, one, one nice thing I think about this on Broadway is so often the formula for an original play or even a revival play on Broadway is grab a bunch of movie stars. Sure. And so rarely do the trained theater actors get a chance to, like, originate a role on Broadway. What was that like being able to work with a cast of relatively unknowns and the audience gets the experience of coming in without... A take on a lot of these right. people. Well, you know, we, uh, we we like to refer to ourselves around the theater as the bad news bad news bears of Broadway. Um, you know, nobody really knows who we are, and uh, and and our show is you know we're we're the blue collar show, and we're really proud of that. Um, I think that people get to come to the come to the theater and see us and see a story you know without attachment, um, and I think that it helps them uh, really you know process the story and, pro- and, and, and invest in the characters and invest in Neil's writing, which is important because it, it's it's really it's special and it needs to be invested in. So any parting comments you'd like to make about the show to entice the people to the, the, the underground buzz? Come and see us. Come and see us, you know, before. You know, um, come and see us back when. You know, uh, we, we, have a, we have a good show and we, you know, we're uh, not to sound, you know, arrogant or anything, but we'll, we'll put our show up against anybody's and, um, you know, uh, we're, we're proud of it. Any advice for aspiring actors pursuing the stage? Keep going, keep going, keep going. It's a long, 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 bumpy road and a lonely one. But if you can, uh, if you can, you know, persevere, the 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 end of it, not the end of it, like I'm at the end of it right now. But you know, the the ups are the ups are so much better than the downs. All right, Thomas Sadowski, reasons to be pretty. Best of luck. Come Tony Awards. Thank you. 
Hunter Bell, how are you doing? Over for a hug. I'm hugging you on Tony Day. <laughs> Hi guys. Well, you know, my prediction, my prediction was wrong. I was sure you were going to get a Pulitzer. Well, in my mind, I did. <laughs> a Pulitzer with two U's. <laughs> but, but you got the Tony nomination for Best Book. I'm thrilled. I'm so proud. I'm so happy to represent Team Toss. Um, <laughs> you know, we're small and scrappy and awesome. And uh, just to be part of the conversation is a dream come true. So, yeah. Where were you when you heard the nomination? We were in Los Angeles. Jeff Bowen, my writing partner, and I were in L.A. We actually had no business there. We just thought it'd be fun to fly to the coast to be bi-coastal. And no. Oh, we were taking meetings and working on a project out there. And uh, so we, we can't. We, it's, uh, we'll be can, no scoop yet, but uh, we'll find out soon. Um, but it, we woke up our asses up at 5.30 a.m., and of course, because we want to know. And I love that people are like, did you wake up? And I'm like, of course we did. Did you see title show? We sung a song called What If This Show Went to Tony. <laughs> We're not sleeping through that. And we woke up and, and uh, went online and then called Jeff's mom, and she was holding up the phone and found out fun news and then flew home and now we're here and taking the ride. What were the challenges in the, in the show itself? In creating title show? Oh gosh. Uh, well, the biggest just kind of being... Yeah, maybe all of that. I mean, I think it's all a challenge. It's all, I mean, they're the, the internal personal challenges or vampires for your title show fans that are like, is this good enough? It's just hard to create. It's hard to put your pen to the paper and put it on the world is hard. And then secondly, uh, an obscure small musical with no stars that's original, not based on anything to think that that would make it to Broadway. That's a challenge. I understand that the first production is actually being launched that you're not in. Is it that was. correct? Jeff and I went workshopped it at Baldwin Wallace uh, and Playhouse in the Square in Cleveland to kind of see what it looked like on other bodies before we send it out into the world. And it's uh, we're licensed it through Roger and Hammerstein, and soon it will be available. And there's some productions, one scheduled at the signature, the Tony-winning Signature Theater. Did you take and advantage of the casting couch, you know, with that other production? We did not yet, but they were all super cute. <laughs> they were super cute. No, no, they're college kids. So, um, but they were great. It was a great production, and you know, a lot of people were like, "Does that work with other people?" But totally worked. It totally worked, and it was a, it was so fun to see, and it's an awesome part of what's possible for this next life of the show. How do you go about writing it? Do you just sit by yourself? Do you sit with, with your collaborators? It's a combo you know? platter. You know, Jeff and I work together, and then sometimes we're alone. You see the show? You so. know, he masturbates. That's sometimes. <laughs> so. That, <laughs> Doing these things is to hear what you have to say, then to follow up on the show, and then do more. No, um, here, you know, letting you know that I'm trying to play like cover. Please, title show is all about being real and honest, so no one has to front. Um, that's right. Come clean. Be yourself. Come clean. Um, that's right. Um, but we work alone, and then sometimes we get together. I mean, it's a true collaboration. He is uh, my collaborating soulmate, and I love what we make together. So sometimes it is, um, you know, I'll sit and write by myself and he'll take that and musicalize it and vice versa. Um, but we make pretty good stuff together, I think. Yeah. Well, I just, I'm glad that you got your nomination. I have to say, I'm, I'm personally horrified that this didn't, like, sweep a lot of noms. In my mind, it did. Of course, you know, I want to be here with all my peeps. It's, it's, that part is bittersweet. But, you know, you create something and try and put it out into the world, and we don't have any control over this part of it. And this all is so fun and a dream on top of a dream come true and I mean I say it sincerely when I'm just happy to kind of be part of the conversation when I think people think we're absolutely crazy 
um, but to sit here and at least kind of be acknowledged, the show to be acknowledged in any form, it feels awesome. It feels awesome. And in my mind, everybody's here. I love Jeff's score. I love those ladies. I love the sound design. I love the costume design, Michael's directions, Larry's arrangements. Um, but I think that all... I encompass all of that. I kind of hold the title show flag and represent all of those things, you know. And I just saw Michael Bress in State of Play. I, didn't I know. Realize the That's, he's a badass in that, isn't he? And the, he? Yes. And, the, and to see him as a badass. I would too. not I go. Like, into, uh, I don't want to spoil her, but I would not go into parking deck anymore with Michael Bress. <laughs> he might shoot you. <laughs> well, Hunter Bell, I very much hope to see you step up to the stage on Tony sure. Night. Sure. Got Martha Plimpton here, nominated for Best Featured Performance in a Musical for Pal Joey. How are you doing? I'm so good. Thank you so much. I'm beyond good. I did more than drop my jaw when I saw you in the show. I think most people are familiar with you as uh, as a straight actress. Sorry? Would you say it's fair to say that most people know of you as a straight actress? Yes. Plays and film, but... You not only were good in the show, you showed serious chops selling Zip. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> I mean, that's quite frankly, let's face it, a mediocre song, and you stopped the show. Well, I tend to disagree with you, not, Michael. I mean, I actually think the, Zip is one of the classic it. numbers in the Rodgers and Hart catalog, and certainly with Elaine Stritch it, yes. would disagree with you as well. Um, but I, uh, you know, a lot of people have done that number, and I love doing that number. It was a difficult number to learn. And uh, but it's a showstopper. It's there's a reason why it was in the eleven o'clock number in the original production too. Well, see, I guess maybe it is. I felt it was a showstopper because of you. Oh, thank not you. Not the song. Thank I mean, you. Not that it wasn't a good song, and that's what it is. What is your musical theater training and your background? I don't have any musical theater training. I mean, you when gotta I was a be, kid, you gotta be kidding. I don't have any. I, when I was a kid, I did musicals. You know what I mean? My first jobs were musicals, but they were downtown avant-garde things with Elizabeth Suedos down at the public. Um, and, of course, that was when I was nine years old. So I don't really have... My musical theater training is that I'm an actress and I want to have a good time and I like to show off. I mean, that's really basically about it. And I got to work with Paul Gimignani and Graziella Danielle, who taught me everything that you saw me doing up there. There's no way I could have done that without the two of them. And Joe Mantello, obviously. So so what what was your thought? Did you approach, did you go after this role, or did they approach you, and, and what were your thoughts about no, that? No, actually, we were at the, uh, the way it goes, we were at the drama desks uh, during Coast of Utopia, and Jack O'Brien told me that he had recommended me for the role to Joe Mantello. This was when they were still developing the project, and it was... Uh, um, not yet had not yet found a home at Roundabout, um, and you know throughout a process of you know doing readings and whatnot and working with Paul Gemignani, I guess they decided they wanted me to do it. So in doing a role like this, uh, and you know it's a classic, you know. Uh, Film and it's uh, you know. Do you feel uh, any responsibility or anything that you, any level of authenticity you need to bring to the role that you might not think you know that a newer musical that doesn't involve something that uh, has this history? Well, I, I think the the style of the show, the style of the dialogue and the music, you know, it means that on a certain level you have to adhere to that style. You have to be faithful to it. Um, you can't be too naturalistic because that'll be boring and you might not actually be able to hook into the rhythm of the way people talk, the pace, you know what I mean, the emphasis, that kind of thing. So in that sense, yes, you do have to think about that stuff. And Luckily, Richard Greenberg did a great job adapting the book, and he made it really easy for us. Do you know what I mean? 
It seems like there's this uh, fascination with that time period. Uh, people are kind of looking back. Did it make you think more about the research, the time, anything like that? I've always loved the period. I've always been a really big fan of film noir and the musicals from the 30s and 40s and a big fan of pre-code movies from the 30s with Joan Blondell and people like that. You know what I mean? So Joan Blondell was sort of in our heads the entire time. You know what I mean? Uh, Joan Blondell in your head. So do you have any projects, film or stage, coming up shortly? No, I'm going to take a vacation. All right, well, hopefully you'll be stepping up the stage on the Tony Awards, and best of luck. Michael Greif, legendary director, represented now with Next to Normal. To your next, how, what, how many Tony nominations is this now? I have three Tony nominations. That's it? Three? Seriously, I thought you had, like... Sorry to disappoint you. It's bad right off the bat. So, uh, also no stranger to rock musicals. Yeah, I've uh, I've done all right. I like this new rock musical very much. Uh, What I love about this one is it's, you know, that last one was all about kids, and I love that this one's about parents and kids, and as I get a little older, I'm very happy to look into other parts of my life. Now, Next to Normal had... A more interesting journey to Broadway than a lot. Almost, yes. You you were you opened at second stage, and it was originally supposed to go directly to Broadway after that, correct? But oh, they held off. Is a very difficult word. But the, that was the buzz going. Is that they were there planning was certain, on moving? There was certainly there were certainly hopes of the possibility of moving on with the show. Absolutely. Um, and then we found that we were not ready. We were in a bit of an impasse, and we had different ideas about maybe where we should go next. And having an out-of-town opportunity to work out what direction the musical was going in has proven to be a fantastic, fantastic solution. What were some of the, what was the, was there a major area that needed to be focused in on, or what were the changes from, you know, the second stage incarnation to the Broadway? I think what most people would say was there's been a deepening of the, of the story about the family and how the family copes with loss. And I also uh, think that Brian Yorkey really took the entire script to a different level by finding a way of uniting Diana's divergent uh, mental challenges. You know, he, he found a way in which he could unite all of those issues. And, you know, in fact, the psychiatrist has a line these days about how... Uh, People often have a predisposition to illness, but a traumatic event can actually trigger that illness. And I think he was able to bring the varying plot points of the play together that way and and really give her a more realistic, more credible, and more uh, uh, mineable uh, psychological profile. This question is probably a little longer. I don't know how it's just make it. A lot of musicals these days are like lyrics or dialogue sung and then there's musicals with, you know, standout songs. Uh-huh. That, this is one of the few things I've seen that really meshes the two. There's, uh-huh. there's the, the dialogue to music, but then there's pull-out numbers like I miss, uh, I miss uh-huh. the mountains and I'm alive that I think are going to be, like, standards that can be really right. taken out of context. Yes. Those two different styles in one show, how, how hard was that for you to work with as a director? What challenge did that present? It was great. I mean, directors love variety. You know what I mean? It's like, I think what, what, what I like to do as a director is organize, but what I love to organize are things that are coming from a lot of different places. So the fact that this material was varied, both in terms of tone, both in terms of uh, form, was really great for us all. 
How much uh, do you find yourself changing things as you're directing, as opposed to what's handed to you? I mean, what? It depends I, I, on the situation, of course. You know, in some cases, you're handed things and you do those things. And in other situations with different collaborators, it's possible that, you know, you'll be able to have a response that will immediately get incorporated. But you as a director have become, you, you know, you're, you, you know, a lot of times the directors seem a little bit less... They're a little bit in, in, in theater, maybe a little less present than a director in a film. You have really become a brand of sorts. You've become a name. You've be, you know, you get put your stamp on it. What is it, do you think, is your unique stamp? I've... Uh, well, you, you can tell me more about my stamp. Uh, you know, if, if you say your name, Michael Grave, it, it, it carries a... It, it connotates something. And what would that be, do you think? That we know your name. <laughs> I think that's kind of what you get. Take things with a little bit of an edge. And you, 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 know, you give it... You, you, I don't know. I, mean, I couldn't exactly say what that is, but I know that when... When your name is promoted, it it, carry, it, it it has a degree of significance to the play, you know, to, and other people don't carry that. To hear that. Yeah. And other people don't carry that weight. Do you, why do you think that you've come to be known for that? Is it that you've taken it's... difficult things and made them work? Is well, it... maybe it's that organization that I was talking about. Uh, but it's about, I just said, you know, what, what I like to do as a director, what I think all directors like to do is take divergent material and find a way of organizing it, presenting it. Uh, palatably, or at least communicate it clearly. Um, so maybe I've been attracted to some wilder things, and yet I have found a way of communicating them in very accessible ways. I mean, perhaps that's what's happened. But I think, I think it just, you know, it's a body of work. I think that's what you're referring to, and I'm thrilled. You have a body of work that you can, if you look at your work, people can say it has your stamp on it. Not everyone carries that. Good. (laughs) Any any things in the process, in the pipeline, that you're going to put your stamp on? Uh, I'm I'm currently working on Tony Christian's new play, which is very thrilling at the Guthrie Theater, and a couple of musical projects that are floating around. Where were you when you were nominated? I was in Minneapolis. I'm going back to Minneapolis in a couple of hours. In the morning, we actually started tech yesterday for that show, so getting ready for rehearsal. Well, Michael Greif, wish you best of luck and congratulations on the ultimate triumph of Next to Normal. I hope so, yes. Hope Davis is here, nominated for lead actress, God of Carnage. How you doing? I'm I'm fine. I'm overwhelmed and excited. (laughs) So you're in probably what's considered the front runner. Does that... As a play, does that carry any weight to you to to be the Goliath this season? Yeah, I think that makes us a little more nervous. I mean, we love the play and really hope it'll win best play for Yasmina. And uh, I don't know. So we are the front runner. Are, are you saying it's true? That's the buzz that's around. You know, just that's good. It's all good, right? But it's is it better to be the dark horse sometimes? That's yeah, that, that's what you need. Right, right. Until well, you're, a certain you've point, been the dark then, horse all my life, in a variety of ways, yeah. in a variety of movies you've yes. been in. Always movies that I think isn't this good, like the Dennis one or the uh, or, or 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 Matador, or, and then you go, what? Why'd they miss that? Do you ever get frustrated? 
You know, I just feel like that's just kind of the story of my career. I don't know. I, I feel so happy still to be a part of those movies. And, like, some people really love that Dennis movie. The, the Academy didn't notice it, but whatever. You know, I, I don't worry about that stuff too much. And I didn't expect all this today. We, we didn't expect all this. I'm mostly familiar as well with your body work on film and, yeah. and, and, and such. How, how often have you trod the board, so to speak? Well, I started in the theater. I, I came to New York when I was in my late 20s to be a, a theater actress. I never, ever thought I would make a movie. I never imagined myself to be in that place. And uh, So I did a lot of theater in New York, and it's really where I kind of made my start. But it's been almost 10 years, because I had a couple of kids and uh, couldn't make it work with my life. So it's been a while, but it's really where I started. It's my Are there any muscles that you had to like get loose again after missing the stage for 10 years? Yeah, the voice was a real problem for me. On film, you know, it's it takes a certain kind of stamina to make it through the 14 hours, but you need a lot of physical strength. And look at me. Do I look like I have muscle on me? I'm tough. I had to develop it, though. So I had to do a lot of vocal work just to... Because in our show, we scream and yell a lot. You know, even when you do serious work, you know, there is a sort of wryness about you or about the, the parts they give you. And in this play, you know, this has got humor and, you know, and drama and all yeah. these... Uh, but how is it that you managed to negotiate those two areas so successfully? You know, not a lot of actors... Not all actors can... A lot of actors... Everybody says, I can do everything, but it's very hard to be able to negotiate, and especially to do it simultaneously or sometimes in the same part or in the same movie. I don't know how to answer that question. I don't know. I guess that's just uh, how I look at life. I don't know. I just... um, Maybe I'm a little funny looking, but I've got a dramatic, sad core. I don't know. I have no idea. It's just it's just what seems to fit my build, my sound, and my voice. It's just what I well, do. Well, it's not that we, I'm, I, you know, I, I think when we when you do interviews, you want to make, you, it's not so much that you want to force a person to reflect on something they don't need to reflect on, as much as that everybody's fascinated about the inner process, because it's, you know, you're blown away when you see somebody become somebody else. And I think that's... that's in, in the case of this play, part of what attracted all four of us to the parts is that these characters are all over the map. It's not as if you could say, oh, it's this type of person and she acts this way in the world. These characters run the gauntlet of human emotion in the space of an hour and a half. All of them are kind and sweet and sad and, and, and absolutely horrifyingly monstrous. Now, so, how... I'm sorry. No, go ahead. How is it the process of working with your, you know, you've got such a great cute, uh, crew, I can't even talk. You know, Jeff is like, you know, somebody, a dream to work with. And Same a, here. You know, and so uh, tell me a little bit about the process of all of you working together. You obviously have rehearsal that you don't have in all films. Yes, and we had a month of rehearsal, and I think we were all nervous starting that there would be ego problems or someone would be difficult to work with. I didn't know Jim or Jeff at all. I knew Marsha, and I knew that we would get along very well. But, uh, you know, you never know if someone's going to be pulling star behavior or whatever. And it was so fantastic when we all sat down to read the play and we realized that we were all really in it to do the play and that we wanted to work really hard and we were all there supporting one another. So rehearsals were fantastic. We were really nervous. None of us... Jim hasn't been on stage in a long time. Marsha hasn't been in over 10 years. It's been a long time for me. She has I think, of her theater as much well, as anything Well, it's been... I think it's been like 13 years for her. So we were all really nervous about doing a play and, you know, you don't know if it's going to flop or if people are going to like it. In a rehearsal room when no one's laughing, you you can't tell. So we were all really nervous, and everybody worked really hard. 
Well, all four of you are nominated, and you're each competing against each other. Does that? Do you think of that as competition at all? Or no, I, I have to honestly say I don't. I don't. It's a it's a false idea of rivalry that you know I'm thinking of how I could out interview Marsha or something. I I hope Marsha wins. I think she's magnificent in the play. Well, you've out interviewed her with us. <laughs> she goes, you, you. Yeah, and James, forget it. We don't. We don't even want it. He didn't come over. With <laughs> Yeah, it's not so, a thing. I have to ask you the question about the projectile vomit. Tell yeah, me. I may not be able to answer. Yes. Yeah, how do I, you? How do I do it? Yes. How do you do it? <laughs> Trade secret or? No? I, I, I can't give it away, but I'll, I'll tell you that there are four people involved to make it happen. It's very complex. It involves remote controls and uh, a fire extinguisher, and that's all I'm going to say. And no CGI in this case, boy. No CGI, baby. It's all vomit and mops and dust closets. So where were you? Where were you when you got the nomination? And when you saw all four of you, were you calling? Each other? Yes, we were thrilled. I was at home playing with my kid. Marsha called me up. She was my first call and said we'd both been nominated and we were waiting for the guys to come up on the website. And then New York One cut out and we saw Jim's name and we didn't see Jeff's name. And I was heartsick thinking that Jeff might not get on. And then we saw that both of the guys had it. Yeah, we're really excited. So, do you guys, you know, since you're all as much film actors as anything else, did you all sit around and go, yeah, that movie we did, you wouldn't believe what really happened? <laughs> any, any little gab? Well, I can't tell you. You yeah, can't tell Jim, us Jim's, what, but no. Jim's there, told some really there great stories. There must be some funny stories. He's a funny guy to talk He's to, boy. He's very funny, and uh, he has some really good stories, but I, I'd have to have, I can't, I don't have clearance to He'll tell him. will have people get you if you're. Yeah. Well, Hope Davis, thank you very much, and best of luck come Tony night. Jeff Daniels, God of Carnage, how you doing? Good, real good. So, I, I'm very familiar, obviously, with your with your film work, but it strikes me that I've seen your face around on, the, on different theater projects recently as well. This isn't a new return, is it? Um, it's it's actually a return. I, I feel like a theater rat who's done a few movies. Um, I um, you know I started a circle rep in off Broadway in the late '70s and. Um, I have my own theater company in Michigan, and uh, theater has always been a part of my life. And so, but I have kids, and I made the decision with Kathleen, my wife, that that we were going to live in Michigan, where we understood how to raise kids because we were both from there. And when they got old enough, then I would come back to New York and do plays. And and I did that two years ago at the Manhattan Theater Club with Blackbird. And when my daughter was at the end of her high school senior year. And now that they're all in college and beyond, I was able to say yes to a commitment like God of Carnage. And so it's, for me, it's been, I've been waiting almost 20 years to kind of get back here. And so I'm, I'm very pleased to be back. Well, balance out your theater career with your film career. I mean, is it, uh, I mean, films obviously don't require the same time commitment and, you know, commitment to a place. But how do you make decisions about what shows to do, what uh, films to do? Is there a, an... A, Something you look for, something special about it that you... Well, I think once you... Um, certainly now, in the last five years, um, I'm only interested in, in good writing and good directors and good actors. Um, I have served my time doing some films. Not all, but a lot of... I got, I'm very proud of a lot of the films I've gotten to do. But some of them are for the money, and so that the kids can go to college, so that I can fund, personally fund the Purple Rose Theater Company in its early years. I can name the movies. Um, Jason Robards said, why'd you do that movie? And he goes, The House in Connecticut, you know. And so that's, you know, that's, that's kind of why I did some of those. But it's easier on a movie, because when the kids are younger, and especially if you're a supporting role, 
shoots for three months, you work for seven weeks. So that means there are, you know, many weeks where you're not working. You fly home and your dad and your super husband. But so I was able to do that. I also did a lot of red eyes. Friday night at eleven, I'd fly to Michigan, be dad on Saturday and Sunday, and go back Sunday night and be on the set Monday morning. The kids needed dad, and I, that was the best I could do. And I'm happy to say that the kids are all fine. It worked. Well, you're one piece of an amazing cast. It's just all four of you got Tony nominations. <laughs> and that doesn't happen a whole lot. Do you know, are there any stories of how all four pieces came together? I mean, did you campaign for, did you campaign for this role? Or how, how did yeah. you come about being involved in well, that? Well, you, of course, Carrie. I mean, I'm sorry, I mean, uh, Yasmina. Carrie, I'm sorry, I'm... <laughs> I'm thinking of I'm, I'm thinking of of, of, direct, of of writing that's you know great quality yeah. people Yasmina being one of them. You look at the elements. You look yeah. at the elements. First of all, I was I was um, I had just done uh, Turn of the Century, the Tommy Toon, Marshall Brickman, Rick Ellis uh, musical. We did it in Chicago at the Goodman. I did that all fall. There was talk of it coming in or going to Boston after that to to work on the script, and then that with the economy that kind of stalled. So. I was shooting in Indy at the time, and I got the phone call saying, look, Ray Fiennes did this in London. Jim saw it. Gandolfini has gotten it made. I mean, meaning he's got producers and they've got the money, and it's going. At a time when, you know, we couldn't raise money for other projects, here was something that had the money, had Jim, Marsha's attached, Hope Davis is attached, so as far, and it's Yasmina. So all those elements are there. What's not to like? So the question was whether Rafe was going to come over or not, and he was tied up with another commitment, couldn't. And so that's when Matthew uh, Warches, the director, met with me, and, um, you know, I basically said, you know, what do I have to do to get this? I mean, I, I had one meeting with him, and then the next day we got a phone call saying, you're it. Well, that's what I meant when you get the chance to work with a writer or somebody that's got an idea that has such a unique uh, quality or a special... Uh, uh, communicates in a special way, I assume that you look for things like that where you, by doing it, you're making a statement in some way or another. I don't, I don't know. I don't worry about making statements. I, I worry about it, what are our chances of succeeding. And some of that, sometimes the best chance to succeed is the risk to fail. And there's a lot with Jim not having done a play for years. Marsha and Hope are like eight years since their last play. Um, but then you put Yasmina, then you put Matthew, then you put the, the producing team behind this, and you know it's going to Broadway, and and it's all about in that rehearsal room. It's about can this very different group of people, certainly the four actors, come together to do one thing, and and happily we were able to, and and a very difficult play to do. She veers off, you know. You're going down. We 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 spent a lot of time trying to find the logic, plausible. Why am I suddenly doing this? And Jeffrey Rush was great. I saw him at a, at a function in February, and he had worked with Yasmina before. And he goes, "Don't even think about it. Just when you veer left, veer left, 100 percent." And and that helped a lot. And really, it's, really, it's Yasmina's style. Really quickly, I know you need to move on, but our listeners might be very interested. You've hinted on the fact that you run a regional theater company. And is there something you can tell us briefly about the, the company that you said you started up and, and funded and, and your kind of passion for that? It's the per <clears throat> Purple Rose Theater Company in Chelsea, Michigan. We're almost, we're about, well, we're 20 years old this January. And uh, we put a theater in the middle of a cornfield, basically, a small town. And we have happily 
in a building that was empty, we now draw 40,000 people a year into this little two-stoplight town. Restaurants have come up, art galleries, bookshops, coffee shops, you name it. It has resurrected this town financially, and it's a great example of what uh, the arts can do for a, a local economy. That said, it's also full of new plays. I'm interested in new work, new playwrights, new plays, plays that hold a mirror up to the audience that's sitting in that seat, right about them, and we do. We've developed playwrights, developed directors, developed actors, designers, and we're very proud of what we do and, and have gotten national recognition for it. I definitely want to thank you for that and, and your effort in that. We need, I think, more people really giving back and, and doing that. And it's clear that you're willing to do that. Thanks so much, Jeff. Thank you. Best we'll of luck be come Tony's. Again. Will Swenson, Tony nominated for Hair. How are you doing? I'm great, thanks. So how much had you been familiar with hair before you let your hair down, shall we say? Uh, you know, not a lot. I, um, I grew up in a very theater-oriented family, but a very conservative kind of Christian family, and so hair wasn't a part of our, our musical uh, vocabulary. Um, I'd never seen a production of it, and I was familiar with, you know, the popular songs, Let the Sunshine In and Aquarius and that, but I'd never seen it before I auditioned. Um, so I learned, you know, Donna uh, and, what, maybe going down for the audition and, and kind of discovered the show as we were rehearsing. Christian background, really? Yeah. So was that really your mom there last night that you uh, grabbed? Uh, no. Oh, that, that, that was a script. Yeah, I pick out different people every night and call them something different. It, it, it seemed very legit. I actually thought, I mean, well, because it was the morning after, the morning actor. he got nominated yeah, for yeah. the Tonys. Oh, right. I actually thought that Oh, maybe, right, right. Maybe she was in town for that. Yeah, I get people all the time going, I was there the night your mom was in the audience, and she was so embarrassed. So are your parents embarrassed? Uh, not that I know of. So far, they've been hugely uh, supportive, and, and I, I'm grateful for that. Well, I also caught you when you originated Stacey Jacks off-Broadway. Was that a hard choice, having to end up giving up one? Um, well, sure. I mean, anytime you put work into a character in a show and it's successful, you want to be able to see that through. Um, but it was like the best problem I've ever had in my life, having to choose between two Broadway shows. Um, and I love Rock of Ages. Um, and, and that let you kept keep your hair growing for the return. <laughs> well, I actually wore a wig in Rock of Ages, so I kept oh, yeah, it long yeah. under my wig just, you know, just to keep my options open, I guess. But, um, you know, I'm thrilled to be a part of hair and, and um, sad that I couldn't do both at the same time. Do you think you would have, if you'd grown up in those times, you would have been a bit of a rebel? It's hard to say, you know. If I'd been born into the same conservative family, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm a sucker for peer pressure. Um... It's possible. I certainly relate to the essence of the 60s when people were doing something about their frustrations. You know, they were standing up and marching. And nowadays, we, you know, we get upset about something. And we, we, this is what John Stewart said. We send a letter in all capital letters um, to express our outrage. And it's just not, not quite the fervent um, movement uh, of people that, that in the 60s they, when they did something. So I relate to that. Um, I, I certainly could have been. Your role in hair is often portrayed strictly on the kind of the charming and surface level. You really found kind of a different, he's annoying and then endearing and then you know, mean, and then you really find a lot of layers to this character. Was that, how much of that was you? How much of the direction? Was that a fight to get that change? Um... It just seems like a very different take on the character than what I've noticed. Well, luckily, I've never seen a production of it. So um, I, I'm a sucker for 
copying people. So if I see something, I'm like, oh, that's the way it's supposed to be. And then I'll just copy it. So I was lucky, I think, in that I didn't uh, have any preconceived ideas about the character. And um, Diane guided me a lot. You know, she, she was, I think, in the summer messing with me because she'd go, uh, it's a little dark. Make, make it all about the happy, happy, happy. And then she'd go, eh, it's too happy. Make everything really dark. And I'd be like, what are, what are you doing? But in the end, I think what she was doing was, you know, just broadening the spectrum. And, and um, Berger's such a great loose canon of a character. You know, if you've got a guy that could play every color in the rainbow, then, you know, why not play every, every shade of it? Well, it's an interesting show because... It's very much an ensemble, and so it's very hard for an individual uh, actor to sort of get, you know, have the opportunities to really give life to the character that stands out beyond the ensemble while still in the ensemble. Your character is probably one of the few that does step out. How uh, how is it working with everybody? Because you know it really has to be integrated. Yeah, um, it's fantastic. It's we've been lucky in that we've had this is our third incarnation of the show, so we do get, know each other very well. You know, as actors and, and as friends, we all get along incredibly well. It sounds cheesy, but we kind of are a tribe, and we hang out um, off stage and away from the theater. And um, and there's a huge level of trust among among amongst the other tribe members. Uh, and I think if that wasn't there. Then, then our production would probably be less successful. But, um, you know, it's a pretty improvisational show by nature. And, and if one night I, I feel like, you know, trying something different um, as far as movement or line readings, um, I, I absolutely feel that the rest of the tribe has my back. And, and, um, and, uh, and as a result, I think the audiences are experiencing a fresh energy and a real, you know, moment as opposed to something that's rehearsed and redundant and just hitting marks every night. Now the salacious question. How is it getting naked on stage with 20 people every night? Bless you. You're the first person in a, really? in a day of three-hour oh, interviews. I was, was going to say, nobody's after, at, I was, after you asked, asked I was going to say, now how many your, people did they ask you? you get to let your hair down? Ah, wah, wah. Um, no, every interview heretofore this afternoon has been about the naked, but um, they should wait until the end. Yeah, right? right. Um, <laughs> You know, it is what it is. Hairs as a musical has a reputation for this scene um, where where the, the hippies pull their clothes off. And I think people, you know, not knowing what that scene entails, think, oh, they're just, you know, that's just sensationalism and, and it's about, you know, sexuality and it's anything but. Um, the moment in the show is about rebellion and, and not accepting the norm. It's right after the boys burn their draft cards and say, no, we're not going to go to war, and they continue their protest by pulling off their clothes. It's not sexualized in any way, and it's kind of a powerful moment. So um, I've never felt uncomfortable with it, really. And I'm a pretty shy person, actually, but, you know, in the moment and in that character, it, it just feels powerful. Isn't it funny that you think all these years and it still provokes controversy and questions? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Well, it's interesting, you know. I, I never get asked questions like... Um, I rarely get asked, you know, are you uncomfortable portraying drug use, which we do. Are you uncomfortable swearing, which we do. Are you uncomfortable, you know, there are scenes where we kill people, at, you know, at point-blank range, there are gunshots. Are you uncomfortable with that? We're so much more comfortable in, in our society witnessing, you know, violence, shooting someone at point-blank range. That doesn't phase anybody, but our natural bodies people are freaking out about, and, and you know, it seems, it seems like it's backwards. Now, the audience comes up on stage. A lot of the audience comes up on stage at the very end. Have there been any interesting moments that have happened with that kind of uh, chaos? Oh, yeah, every night. I get groped every night. 
Burger's such a crazy it wasn't character. Me. It wasn't you. Are you sure? Um, every night, you know, Burger's such a crazy physical character. I'm out in the audience messing with people and you know kissing them on the face, and and uh, so they come up on stage and they just see this character who you know has been so free all night. So they'll they'll grab my ass all the time. All right. Well, best of luck come the Tony Awards, yeah, and I'll thanks, Will Swenson. I appreciate we'll, it. Thanks we'll a lot. And again, I was caught off guard. Hallie Foote, the daughter of Horton Foote, nominated for Best Supporting Actress in a Play, was already being interviewed when I turned around. I joined this in progress. You know, working with a parent, I just could never have imagined working for my parents, you know. You know what? Was you working for him, with him? You know, kind of, you know we sort of parked the kid, the father-daughter thing at the door, and it was more... He was, you know, if he, sometimes he would direct me, you know, but he was always in the room if he wasn't, even if he wasn't directing, and he, you know, it was a working relationship, so that's how we treated it, and uh, I often went to him with questions, you know, about characters I was working on, or, you know, uh, I'd, I'd weigh in sometimes if I thought he could make a change or two. Well, you were lucky uh, yeah. in that he was so vibrant, you know, throughout, yes. you know, that, you know, you never really, like, it wasn't like you saw a loss or anything. No. You know, um, this play, you know, it, you know, it, it, obviously, I believe it, it, it was written and took place long before you were born. No, no, this play was written in 1987. Oh, 87, but you were still pretty young. I was young, I just, um, wasn't right for the parts. Right. Um, so, uh, and it just wasn't, it was almost done in New York, but it didn't happen, and so, you know. Did you, you know, as someone would prepare for a play, they would read, you know, their, uh, uh, the playwright's works or previous works. I don't know, does somebody feel the need to do that? And were, had you read everything and knew all of your dad's stuff, or was there stuff that you hadn't been familiar with, or you knew it all throughout? I know my dad's stuff, but I have to say, um, I'm... John, John Lahr is doing an article on my dad for the New Yorker, and uh, I had to go back and read a lot of things, and things that I'd worked on, just because I wanted to familiarize myself with um, what I'd worked on and what the plays were about, and and uh, it was kind of nice. I just sort of spent this afternoon reading over a lot of the stuff. So you don't... I'm not always... Now, he, my father, could remember a line from a obscure play. You know, he'd say, no, that was in that play, and... He just had that kind of mind. You go. Uh, how is it performing in your father's play? Do you feel a difference as an actress working with your father's words versus other people's words? By no, I mean, I respond to good writing, and he was a really good writer. I, really? I think a few yeah. people have heard of him. Yeah, but I mean, I've, I've, my sister's a really good writer, and I've done her plays. I, I love working on plays where you don't have to kind of make it up as you go along or manufacture stuff that isn't there or try to make something fit that doesn't really fit. Um, that's when I'm happiest, and that's what I sort of try to do. It's so much about a sense of place. Um, some plays, you know, could be sort of set anywhere. Um, do you feel a, a connection to its place? I mean, you know, you've grown up pretty much in New York, right? Yeah, New York and New Hampshire. Yeah, roots in the South. So uh, did you learn something you didn't know, or do you get to visit there often enough that you I feel... Visited there, I visited there often enough. I, the, the people are gone, you know, the people who wrote, wrote about in this particular play. 
But it's also, what's interesting to me is, is people I talk to afterward would say, you know, it's my family in Czechoslovakia, or it's my, you know, that everybody has a family that has to deal with this stuff. You know, some of them are richer than others, or, but, you know, people dying in the States and money are, are big hot-button issues, and it creates all kinds of things. Um, um, so I think, in that sense, I, I just saw the Norman Conquest, and I, it's a you know it's not about fighting over money yet, but but it is about family getting together and trying to you know deal with each other, <laughs> and that's. I'm sorry. Did it make you learn anything? That, um, finish your thought. I'm sorry. Well, no, I just think my father it was funny. My father adored Akeborn, and Akeborn almost did one of his plays. Yeah, it, he said it, it was called Getting Frankie Married and Afterward, and then he ran out of money and wasn't able to do it. But he wrote him this letter, and he, it said it's in the letter, once I knew that a baby shower didn't mean drowning a baby, <laughs> um, he said he was very relieved and happy to continue trying to get it done. But, um, yeah, so I think um, a great play crosses all... You know, it doesn't. It's not regional. It's not stuck in one place. It, it's universal. Does this play make you think about things you need to do about your own estate? Well, you know, it's funny. My father used to say he didn't understand math. He didn't understand. And I was in the middle of rehearsing this play, and I thought he had this deadly sense of all this stuff that he pretended not to understand or want to fool with. He got it, you know. And what was also very interesting is this being written in '87. There's this line towards the end of the play where she says, that's what America's becoming, a service economy. So there's something always very prescient about my father's writing. He saw into the future somehow, you know? And I thought, oh, my God, we're in a service economy, <laughs> you know? Would you like to see the show uh, staged again sometime? Well, we are doing it at Hartford. I'm, yeah, we do it on the... Um, we start rehearsals on the uh, 14th. We open on the 28th, and we're going to play it for five weeks. The only sad thing is, is we don't get Liz. She's here working, so we get, but we get Lois Smith, and that's not bad. All right, well, thank you very much, Hallie Foote. Best of luck come Tony's. Gavin Creel here, Tony nominated for Best Leading Actor in a Musical with Hair. How you doing? I'm great. It's a good day. It's a good, good day. Yeah, I actually caught you in the show last night, the day you got news of your nomination. Yeah, it was a neat night. I think um, there were a few audience members who I think had heard. <laughs> so they were a little bit uh, charged up and excited. So, But it was a neat show last night. So this is a bit different of a role for you from what you've played a lot in, in what you're known. You're kind of known for the clean-cut guy. Yeah, yeah. I guess I guess um, I've kind of been hungry for this kind of role, to be able to do something that's a little more contemporary, a little more rock and roll, a little more... Because I love pop music, and I write pop music, and I like to sing pop music, and it's nice that, that this opportunity came along. And no, I'm not slicking my hair, and in the 20s, so it's, it's a neat departure. Yeah. <laughs> so what has been some of the biggest challenges? Have you had to... Is any of the physicality of things you had to work on more than other roles? Yeah. Um, Diane, our director, Diane Paulus, worked with me a lot on trying to strip away ha old habits that I was doing or things that were coming out that, that may have fallbacks and things like that. And it's as frustrating, as hard as that is, it's a reminder, like, you want to honor the character. So, so, and she really works with me, and I continue to think about that. But it's hard. It's a hard sing because I'm a tenor, and, and the part is more of like a baritoner. So when I get excited, I really want to belt out loud, and I, I don't go as high as I want to. So... I might have, might have found some places where I can sing a little higher than I probably should be singing, or, you know. But it, you have to. I take really good care of my voice and the body, and you know, 
It's a discipline. Now, one thing that struck me seeing the show last night is I really think after 41 years, for better or for worse, I just, this still seems like probably the most contemporary rock musical that has happened in, th- despite everything about Rent, and I think Rent's a good show, I didn't really feel it was really rock, you know, current music, where this clearly was at the time. Yeah. And it still feels that way. Yeah. I, I, it, what's amazing is I hope... Well, there's a young writer who I think is incredible named Tom Kitt who uh, was nominated for the score for uh, Next to Normal. And I hope that more writers like Tom will will come see hair, let's say, and be inspired by what Galt and Jim and Jerry put together and especially the music that Galt was writing. Like, he came to write a rock score and he did it. And I, I hope that um, young writers will not do watered-down musical theater sounding whatever, what they think musical theater should sound like and, and start listening to the radio and I, cause I, I would I dream of a day when you know, and Judy Garland used to be she was a superstar because she was played on the radio and people listened to her songs and it was popular music I dream of the day when that filters back in, like Broadway like what's happening on Broadway, people like, oh, let's tune in and where they want to see it, they come to New York to see the concert, so hopefully Hair will remind people this is the kind of thing people are hungry for yeah, because structurally the show, it still works very well theatrically. At first it feels a bit review-like, and then all of a sudden you find without you really being aware yeah. that it's woven into a story. It's not, it, that's the coolest thing about this piece is it, it's just firing off number, 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 introduction, introduction, introduction. You think, okay, it's just going to be this silly one-off after one-off after one-off. And then there's a little scene that snags you and you go, oh, there is a plot. And then they depart again, and then they come back in and you go, oh, we're going to follow the guy who might, might or might not be drafted. And... And then all of a sudden, you find yourself caring about these people. And that's a testament, again, to Diane and, and, and the gang who put it all together, but also to the tribe and the actors that are up there doing it because there's a, a, a true connectedness in our tribe already that when the audience comes, they just sort of feel like they're witnessing this family kind of running around together. And it's amazing how it snags you. I love it. So I, I felt I had to ask this. You invite the audience up on stage at the end of the show, and I imagine there have been a few crazy, unpredictable moments that have happened. Anything interesting you can share? Well, I haven't. I, I didn't do the production in the park, but I heard that this past summer when they did it, there's a woman who just took her clothes off in the middle of the dance party, like, you know, felt it was her time to get naked, and the cast and everybody's kind of backed away from her. <laughs> I'm like, okay, but... We haven't had any too many rambunctious things yet, but I have a feeling as the show continues to build momentum and people start to hear about it more, and hopefully we win a boatload of Tonys and people start hearing, like, this is, you know, the show is the thing to come see and experience, really, that hopefully we'll get some crazy moments, good things to write down and tell stories. Well, hope forward, we can look for, uh, hopefully we can look forward to a long run, and thank, thank you. you so much, Gavin Creel. Best of luck, come Tonys. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Take care. Curtain call. Well, that wraps up this special episode, Volume 312, the Tony nomination 2009 Meet the Nominees press conference. Uh, I had a lot of fun. I won't say it's not a bit stressful, but it was a whole lot less stressful than the very first time I did it. Uh, I think we agree. A lot of fantastic stuff here. I hope you enjoyed it. Hope you learned a lot. Uh, Again, I want to remind you, please, please take a moment. Give us a five-star review in iTunes. It really, really does help. And uh, take this moment. This is a really good episode with a lot of great content. 
content. Tell some friends. Let them know what's going on. Uh, a lot of people still don't know what a podcast is and need a little coaching and for you to tell them just how easy it is to subscribe. And so let your theater-loving fans know about this outstanding episode. I hopefully you agree. <laughs> and uh, we're going to be back. Our regular schedule. We're still going to be doing the second and fourth Thursday this month. Um, got a lot of fantastic interviews coming up. Uh, this is the time of year. The, the press agents are, are, are a lot more eager to uh, send me some of the, the bigger shows during this time period while they're all campaigning for the Tonys. So expect uh, a little bit more Broadway-oriented, Broadway-off-Broadway content the next few episodes. Uh, this is Michael Gilbo, your host. Thanks for hopping on board the Broadway Bullet. Well, I wouldn't want it to be too perfect every night. It is live, Working at Lincoln Center, it sounds very huge and elevated. And that's what it feels like, like once you're working there. Because rent is about much more than just friendship, love, and musical theater. It was about something that should be musical theater. People are becoming more and more I mean, we do it all. I mean, you know, we don't we don't back away from anything. So, a little more about our brand new theater and business arts major. I know what most theater programs are like, and I've talked to thousands of artists. All of this told me that a new style of theater major was needed. Theater majors can get a pretty good arts education just about anywhere, but most programs do very little to prepare actors, directors, playwrights, technicians, producers, etc., to manage their careers. When you go into the arts, you are your own business, and you need to manage that to strategically plan for your career to grow. If you've listened to many of these interviews, you know you need to be self-starters to create your own opportunities. I'm going to make sure you are ready for that world. You'll get a ton of opportunities as an undergraduate. Actors will act, even as freshmen. Designers will design shows right away. Playwrights will see their shows mounted. Directors will direct. Producers will handle shows from inception to execution. Outstanding guest artists will conduct workshops, and outstanding students will even work on this podcast and travel to New York with me for interview weeks. And if that isn't enough, we've got an amazing program that will pay all or part of your student loan payments, even private loans if you are earning less than $40,000 six months after graduation. That is an invaluable option that lets you pursue your passion in theater with less financial pressure. If interested, and I hope you are, go to broadwaybullet.com. I'd love to help you launch your career.